Um, this meeting is being recorded. Okay. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Civic Design Review Committee meeting. Today is October 17th. It's 2.05 in the afternoon. Um, can we have roll call, please? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Stryker? Present. Commissioner Carney? I saw him earlier. Commissioner Carney? I'm present. Hi. Okay, great. Okay, sorry. Uh, Commissioner Liu? Present. Uh, Commissioner Schneer? Here. And Commissioner Shioda? Present. Uh, we have a quorum and also present is Deputy Director of Programs, Joanne Lee, Director of Public Art and Civic Art Collection, Mary Chu, and Commission Secretary, Alyssa Ventry. Okay, thank you. And also, there will be a change in the order of the agenda. We will be taking item number seven, which is the Chinatown Public Health Center. Um, and we will take that uh, item after number two, which is public comment, general public comment. Uh, this meeting is being held by teleconference pursuant to California Government Code Section 54953 and the 24th Supplement to Mayoral Proclamation declaring the existence of a local emergency. During the coronavirus uh, disease, COVID-19 emergency, the Civic Design Review Committee's regular meeting room, 401 Van Ness, Suite 125 is closed. Meetings of the Arts Commission will convene remotely. Today, the Civic Design Review meeting is being streamed using the WebEx platform and will allow for remote public comment. While this technology allows us to hold these meetings remotely, it may not be as seamless as we would prefer. There will be gaps and delays as staff transition the technology between speakers. Please know we're doing the best we can and we ask for your patience as we learn this new way of working together. Before we start, I'd like to remind us all about the policies and procedures for virtual public meetings. At this meeting, we're bound to follow the structure of our agenda and adhere to the best practices set out in the Good Government Guide. At every public meeting, there's a place for general public comment where members of the public may make comment on any item pertaining to this body. In this case, please keep your general public comments to items under the purview of the San Francisco Arts Commission. For every item on the agenda, there's also a space for public comment pertaining to that item. Respectfully, we ask that you keep your public comment on topic. Last, a few virtual meeting housekeeping items. Commissioners and staff, if you've not already done so, please mute your microphones to minimize background noise. When you speak, you'll have to unmute yourself. Commissioners, please raise your hand to be recognized to speak or ask a question if it's not already clear to me that you are the speaker. Also, please introduce yourself when you speak so callers on the phone know who is speaking. I'll now ask our program associate, Paris Coates, for public comment instructions. Paris. Thanks, Commissioner. Um, for members of the public who wish to make public comment on items on the agenda, the phone number to call is 415. 655-0001. The access code is 2486-374-8500 and the numeric passcode is 237-1017. You'll be prompted to press pound twice. 
Your line will be unmute, will be muted, but you'll be able to hear the meeting in progress. You may also make public comment using the WebEx link. When you click the link, you'll be prompted to enter the following information, first and last name and email address. These fields are required. However, if you wish to remain anonymous, you may type public in the first and last name fields and public at public.com in the email field. Please make sure that you are in a quiet location and that all devices near you are muted so that there's no echo when you speak. At the appropriate time, the chair will ask for pu the public comment. For members of the public using the WebEx link, please click the hand icon to raise your hand. This will put you in the public comment queue. When you are called on, you will see a window pop up on your screen to request to be unmuted. You must click the unmute button. For members of the public calling by phone, you will be prompted to press star three when the public comment period opens. This will add you to the speaker line. When the system says um, you're being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute press star six, this is your time to speak. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will ask us, you'll hear us ask you to state your name and to make your comments. You're encouraged but not required to state your name for the record. I will start your three minutes when you begin talking using a visual timer. You will get a 30 second audible warning. When your time is up, I will say caller, your time is up. At that point, I will put you back on mute. You'll be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you disconnect and you will hear your line has been muted. Participants who wish to speak on other public comment periods can stay in the meeting line and listen for the next public comment opportunity. We will pause briefly before closing public comment to ensure that no remaining commenters are seeking to speak on an item. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may email a brief written summary of their comment to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes at sfgov.org. As a reminder, the summary may be rejected if it exceeds the prescribed word limit or is not an accurate summary of the speaker's public comment. Public comment instructions will also be shared on the screen as you see here. Please note the WebEx system is upgraded and you will see a closed captioning feature. The controls for this feature are located at the bottom left of your screen. Also, the raised hand feature has changed. To raise your hand, hover your mouse over your name in the attendee list and click on the raise hand icon. Um, and with that, Commissioner Stryker, please begin the meeting when you're ready. Okay, thank you. I'd like to start the meeting by reading our land acknowledgement statement. This was recently approved by the commission, approved in November 2021. The San Francisco Arts Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors elders and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. As a department dedicated to promoting a diverse and equitable arts and culture environment in San Francisco, we are committed to supporting the traditional and contemporary evolution of the American Indian community. So let's um, move to item number two, which is general public comment. Is there any general public comment? 
Um, if you're already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on the screen. We are currently on item two, general public comment. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you are listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30 second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes at sfgov.org. Um, let me see if we have any hands raised for general public comment. I don't see any. Check. Okay. Um, there's no public comment for this item and general public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. We'll move to item number seven and then all subsequent um, items will be heard in the original listing order. So this is the Chinatown Public Health Center. It's coming to us for phase one and two together. Team, are you ready? Yes, we're ready. Do you hear okay. me? Yes, and just a reminder, you'll have 20 minutes to present and I'll give you a three minute audible warning. Okay, hopefully I'll be done in 15. Um, okay, so I'll share my screen. Can everybody share? Okay, uh, so we're um, super excited to come back and show you our next phase. Um, last time we uh, introduced the project to you and we went over the, you know, the goals and the program, um, some of the design um, process that we use to get to where we are. And, um, you know, we have that if you want to look at it or have any questions about it, but I'm just going to move on into um, what came up in the last meeting, which was a, like we thought was a really good discussion and um, going back and responding to some of your comments. I think we've made some, some really nice improvements to the project based on your comments. So um, just uh, going right into that. Um, I'm gonna talk, start off talking, going through the questions one at a time. And there are about five main points that, that were discussed. And if I miss anything, you know, please, uh, let me know, um, and we can we can talk about those. Um, and then after that, will be um, there's some additional items and development on the project, um, some additional material, you know, detail that we'd like to share with you guys. So that's going to be the second part of it. So just to start off with um, going through the questions and the discussion from last time, I think one of the most interesting things that came up, um, and I think you want to start with that because it's it kind of everything else falls into this and it was a it was a question whether we had um, hired a, a feng shui consultant for the project and i i think um, you know this being in chinatown it was a good question um and we kind of went back um and um we talked to you know the uh, the dph and you know there was actually that question was asked to the users 
by my community early on and the, you know, the, we're using building whether that was a desire um and to get an outside feng shui consultant and they basically were feeling like no this is a very complex project and we want to go fast forward and you know it's an existing building we can't change the orientation we can't change the entrances you know a lot of things are are fixed because it's existing too um but also um my uh my mentor and my boss and, and who was on this project early on before I even started, Ignatius Sang, um, and I've worked on projects with him in earlier um, worlds, and he always incorporates that into his projects. And it's like, oh, duh, you know, he's he's been on this from the beginning. So we talked to him again, and he's he's listening in too. So if there's any questions for him, um, but really, he you know he went back and. Looked at it again too from that perspective, and um, and a lot of the things that we did, even you know, while I was when I came on board, were you know inspired by him and some of those ideas. So um, basically, feng shui in general, the goals, you know, is the healing of mind, body, and spirit. And in terms of this project being a healing center, um, and also for mental health, you know, what a perfect place to incorporate those goals. And how do you how do you do that? You do that through connection to nature and achieving balance and harmony and make and also making it inviting and welcoming and inviting the community and to bring in the natural elements like water, earth, fire, metal and wood. And you know, and above all, just making it full of light and opening, opening it to the community, making it inviting. So early on, you know, um, one of the first things we did was, you know, looking at the entry and, and making the entry as inviting as possible. And so really raising up and he, you know, originally we kind of kept the top, the, the, the top of the canopy where it was, and he was pushing toward raising it up and making it more open and more, you know, able to really bring people into this space. Those are, that was one of his you know, first real inputs on that. And so that canopy comes across, provides opening, it's raised up. Um, and then also this idea of the rim, you know, you're looking around at the, at the Chinatown community, um, you know, there's a lot of red incorporated, Chinese red is a very powerful color, but it also has a feng shui meaning, and, you know, meaning prosperity, wellness, good luck. Um, you know, that's what you, when you give someone money as a gift, you know, you put it in the red envelope. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a meaningful symbol, and I think appropriate for this place. And, um, and then he also, you know, he looked, came back again since our last meeting, looked at it because, well, what can we do more? You know, the, on the left is what we had previously shown you. You know, it's a blank wall out there. You know, there's the problem, questions of graffiti. But from a feng shui perspective, how can we really just bring the flow into this building even more? And so he, he looked at that wall and said, like, well, hey, put an angle on that. I was thinking an angle, there aren't any angles on this building. But then I tried it. We, 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 we angled it in and then you could see the entry more as you're walking down the sidewalk. And then with that, we got the space to put a little ledge, you know, where you could perhaps have seating. Um, there's a nice trolley stop right there, you know, and maybe that's a place where you could put a seating for people catching the cable car and then bringing in some, some nature. How do you bring in nature as, as a feng shui principle here? So putting a green wall there would also, you know, that, that wall would get tagged if it's just blank and, you know, doing something there or um, to bring nature in and the water element. And then how do you take that even further? I thought, well, you know, bring in earth, stone, tie it to the ground, um, make, uh, uh, you know, make that, make those a place of, of, of bring nature into that front door even more with the, the idea of these boulders. And so that brings in the element of earth. 
and also provides a little place to sit outside. So that was just a wonderful development that happened based on you know, your guys' comments on, on adding, adding, you know, looking at it from a sanctuary perspective. And then early also things we've done you know, previously too that were a lot of his ideas, opening up a stair, um, encouraging exercise, health, wellness, bringing in daylight. You know, you have the Kaiser Thrive stair, but that's also an early feng shui principle of just encouraging people to walk and move up and down the building, see how you get to the different places, and uh, bringing in daylight, of course. And he also, since then, said, well, you know, the signage, the Chinese symbols, bring those down to the ground and connect with the sidewalk and the earth so that it's more, you know, before we had them up in the air, and this way it's much more, uh, it brings a human scale to it. And then, um, and then bringing in the water element, you know, having having the stone, you, you know, you're going to be watering the plants that brings water there, and then also possibly bringing in a wave pattern into the um, into the garage door, and then with fire, making sure it's well lit, you know, don't have it be the dark sort of entry it is now, but make sure we've got good lighting there, so that even, you know, in the daytime, the afternoon, and shadow, you've got good lighting if you're bringing in the fire element, uh, which is an important part of feng shui, and then lastly, of course. Um, there's the dragon, which is a powerful Chinese symbol, you know, that goes with the red too, in a way. And, and it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it represents hope and desire. It represents the, the healing and the spirit. Um, and, and earlier on in the project, you know, the, uh, one of the first things that Ignatius was saying was, you know, the way it is now, it's not in the right place on the building. It feels like it's part of the ground and, and dragons want to fly up to the sky and they want to be, you know, part of that. So, you know, it really wants to be somewhere higher up on the, on the building. And then, and then also by doing that right now on the first floor, it's a blank wall and you have patients back there. You have a dental clinic, a waiting area, and they have no natural light. And so by bringing that, that dragon up onto the, onto the, to the roof like that, you're making it part of the sky where it belongs. You're making it visible all the way down Broadway street. So people see that it's there. Nobody even really knows it's there the way it is now. So. Um, so those are some of the feng shui concepts that were, you know, we look, went back and looked at from that perspective in response to that comment. And it was pretty exciting some of the things that came out of that. And then, um, and then sticking with the dragon, the location, we met with the art commission last time. We're still having those discussions about, you know, is this really the best place for it? And we've tried some other options last week with the arts commission, but I think so far this is the one that you know, makes the most sense. Um, and we're continuing to have discussions with them. We're going to be taking the dragon down, looking at it, looking at the feasibility of it. Um, but in the meantime, the next comment uh, from the commissioner discussion was the supports for the dragon, what that's going to be like. And so in the upper left shows what we had showed previously. Um, you know, and of course we, you know, as early on concept and early design phase, you know, we're just starting to make this really look at this in more detail. We went back, the lower left shows the existing um, support system for the, the dragon on the wall with the studs and the backing and the horizontal. So we just looked at that in more detail and, you know, looked at it from the perspective of, well, as long as we provide places where you put the screws in into the backing on our support system, it should work. So we may not need all those vertical supports. We could cantilever it. I think we can do a little bit more even as we get into this, you know, in terms of the horizontals and minimizing that and make, minimizing the visibility more. So that's, um, so the upper right shows, you know, the cantilevered dragon support system. 
um, and how then bottom right sort of shows how that would work. And then we also got into the conversation of the finishes, what would make the most sense for this to not conflict with the dragon, not be, you know, the support not being an element of itself. So we looked at, you know, what we had shown previously was a white color to it, um, maybe doing it as a black color, which I think kind of makes the dragon shape a little bit less pronounced. So I'm not sure if that works as well. And then a gray to the lower left. Um, and then a galvanized, which would be sort of a metal color that would be similar to the mullions and kind of has a tendency to reflect the sky around it more. So in my my feeling is I'm you know preferring the, the galvanized, but as we go into this more, go into CDs, actually look at the dragon, take it down, you know, look at the support system. We'll be coming back to you in the next phase in CDs with, you know, more detail on this. But I'm looking forward to you know hearing what all of you think. Um, and then, you know, as it looks with the, on the left is the more cantilevered, less supports, um, you know, based on, on where the dragon needs to be supported. And on the right is what we showed previously. And then we were also um, asked to look at this from closer views. So, you know, coming out of the, the, the school, um, you know, across the street, what are the students going to see as they look up at the building? What do the neighbors see down low? You know, I think it's a, it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting view. Um, you certainly see the support system a lot less. So that was um, that second comment about the, the dragon and the support system. Um, the next discussion we talked about was the artwork and the visibility. So as I said, we had a a meet this meeting um, last week with the Arts Commission. And um, and looking and talked about the different opportunities of art within the building, and we'll be going over that a little bit with you. But you know, a big thing about that is to make the facade, you know, as transparent as possible, make it so you can see in and you can see the art um, in the building. And I think there's a lot of opportunities on in the in the building and in the lobbies and in the waiting areas so that you can see it from the outside. So really, you know, this building. You know, if you look at the upper right, you know, what we can do with low E glass, it's going to be a lot more transparent um, and you're going to be able to see into it a lot more. And, uh, and then those will be real some opportunities for seeing the art um, within the building. And uh, so we talked about, we did have options on the outside too, but I think they felt strongly that we really wanted to keep the art on the inside of the built project. So that's, um, that's what we're, we're doing and on the bottom, you can see the different floor plans of where those opportunities are. Um, and most of them are fairly visible from the outside too, um, especially in the waiting areas and in the stairway, which I think is a great opportunity. Um, we're showing these patterns in the in the rendering, but of course that's just a placeholder. I mean, of course, there are, could be anything. It could be a three-dimensional um, hanging structure in the stairway. It could be, as we'll see what it ends up being. So that's a whole conversation that's going on. Um, but I think it is going to add to the facade and an art transparency, the the ability to see into this building and, and what we're doing on the exterior, I think can all work together in a, in a wonderful way. Um, and then the last, uh, or the second to last comment that we had talked about was signage, just bringing that off of the facade, off of the metal panel, um, letting it float, cast a shadow. Um, this view we did also shows sort of how that works with the the sun shades and the materiality of the, the facade there. And I think it just gives you a good 
good view of, of what's going on on, the, on Broadway Street side and the opportunity for signage there as well. And then also um, there was a discussion about the maintenance. So, you know, the building currently does get tagged. Um, if you go out there now, you can see, you know, there's these splotches of paint all along the area that I've highlighted here. And we went, we went back and did some, some discussions in house, you know, and we're still, we're still researching this in terms of, you know, we have an existing precast panel, which is what this is. Um, and the, the, you know, the solid white color there is a sort of a beige precast and it's very porous and very hard to clean. And there really isn't anything we can do that we've found from our research to make it so that you can easily clean graffiti or spray paint off of the existing precast. It's really, um, they're really only, your only hope is to get the, you know, is, is a paint color that matches it as close as you can. And then to make sure when you do paint, you have the exact same color so you don't see the, the changes and perhaps even have a system in place where you can take that whole section of wall and, and paint that regularly so that it doesn't look like the splotchy look that you currently have. On the red, you know, that's the metal panel. It's a new metal panel. You can get the treatment there and coating um, so that it is cleanable from paint. Um, so that's that's sort of where we are now, where we are in, in terms of that. All of our projects are going through this discussion with BOA. So it's a it's a, you know, we're we're wanting to come to the best um, solution possible and we're having those conversations too. And when we next meet with you, we'll we'll have probably further further insight on this. Um, and then the next series of slides is really just um, uh, looking at the previous, you know, some of the, the previous slides we've shown you. So just showing you back main concept, the existing and the gray in the middle, and then the new elements that we're adding on the new, new curtain wall in the uh, east and west, and then just placing the windows in the north and south here. Um, and then previous just some wall sections showing the catwalks and the maintenance system of the glass, a big part of this in terms of maintenance, and we talked about that before, is, is having an area where you can clean the windows because the current building, there's no way to clean the facades. So we've incorporated that into the building um, with, uh, with catwalks along the Broadway side and then a, a walkway on the canopy of the Mason side. And then we've also gone a little further in terms of what the design of the sunshades are. And we're looking at, um, the, the the vertical fins of whether those are a, a mesh system or a perforated metal. I think we're still sort of investigating which makes the most sense, which is the most maintenance free. Um, the, the visibility through them. So this is a view from the third floor conference room, looking out over Broadway. You know, you'd be able to see the, the bay and the, the the skyline. So we wanted to be able to see through it some, but also provide the protection from the low sun that comes in on the, the east side and the west side. Alan, you have uh, three minutes remaining. Awesome. I think that's perfect. So um, so this is just showing an existing uh, sun shade. So it's similar. You can see how you can see see through it, but it also provides shading. And then on the right is a is our project, you know, which could be it could be a pattern. So we're we're looking at that too and we'll bring some options to that in the next next meeting. And then just some requirements that are, you know, we need to show on the elevations and materials for those. Um, 
and the, the, the north elevation and the, the uh, security screen I'm going to put there, and then what those materials are. Um, so all the members on the elevation correspond to materials on this, this board here, and um, showing what the different different factors of that are. And then um, also, of course, um, including site plan. And um, with that, um, I'd like to just open up, you know, listen to your discussions, get your input. What do you think? Um, this is a we kind of updated this this uh, image too along Mason Street to just show what it what it looks like with our current design. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You're, you've taken on a challenging project here. Um, so comments, commissioners. Uh, Commissioner Shiota, Shoto, sorry. Thank you, Commissioner Stryker, no problem. Um, thank you so much for, you really put so much thought um, into the comments and all the work you did before and the the projects, um, just everything you've done has really enhanced it. Um, Commissioner Schneider's comment about the Feng Shui is, uh, is great, very thoughtful. I love this front. Um, really, really appreciate the um, transparency of the stairwell and the art um, opportunities that, that that's going to um, provide and that it can be seen not just from the interior, but from the exterior makes it very inviting. So um, I really, um, really, really like it. So I just wanted to say uh, much appreciation for all the thoughtfulness and work um, from the last round. Okay, um, Commissioner Schneer. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate your uh, uh, taking our comments to heart and being very thorough with uh, as you went through your analysis. Um, I guess maybe I should have been a little more specific because what I was hoping you would do was go to a feng shui master who can talk to you about the flow and the energy in terms of the building itself, you know, talking about like the elements and stuff. We know the elements um, and you certainly have addressed that and I, I applaud you for that aspect of it. However, it was and I understand also that, you know, the buildings there, it faces west, which is not the way you want a building to face with feng shui. So I can appreciate some of the things you have done to um, minimize the effect of that by opening up by the more open uh giving more access and opening into into the entrance um but uh i still i, I still feel like i was hoping for that type of a an analysis so i'm a little disappointed that we didn't get it from that standpoint um and there's some more in terms of the feng shui and the um, dragon, but I'm going to let uh, Commissioner uh, Liu uh, talk with that aspect of it. The um, a couple of things, though, and and I might come back with other comments later. But one of the things that I was particularly concerned about that we didn't discuss the last time is uh, the noise factor, particularly on the Broadway side, with everything you know, with all the cars coming through the tunnel and stuff. Um, have you done anything in terms of uh, uh, glazing and noise reduction in terms? Yeah, we, of we have an acoustic consultant who's looking at all of our systems, 
uh, we're going to have noise, you know, we're going to put um, uh, acoustic material on the, on the, you know, on the floors and um, in the garage level and then on the floor below that. So, yes, we're definitely looking at that from acoustic and appreciate that. Okay. Um, good. Um, and I'm, uh, I know that uh, Mary Chu is going to talk a little bit more about the dragon as well as Commissioner Lewis. So I will uh, acquiesce to them on that. I wasn't aware that we had that you had made a decision on the Chinese red versus the international orange. And it looks like now you have, can you talk? So I actually, um, I went out to the bridge and got a, got a, some paint chips of the uh, actual bread itself. And it is very, very, very close to Chinese red. Um, and you call it international orange, but it's really, it's really more of a, I mean, it's, if you no, look I, at I know it very well. I, I went <laughs> yeah. through this whole thing so, with it before when it was but, um, repainted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the actual color it is, is very close to Chinese red. Um, I think both would be very, would be very nice and um, they would complement each other. So, you know, and that's something we will, I think, as we go into the next phase and actually in terms of doing a mock-up, you know, on site, I think would be great to bring, you know, bring those colors out to the site and really take a look at it. And until we do that, you know, I think that's just, you know, it's early on to, to be making that decision. Okay. Um, and then have you, I think I would urge maybe a community meeting to get some feedback that way too, uh, since the people who work and live there might have some, it's a very strong statement that you have there. Um, and I think it's important that you get the community input for it. And we have, yes, and we have more um, community meetings coming up. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I was a little concerned was just that first one. I was like, okay, because I'm used to when projects come before us at the beginning that there have been several meetings with the community as you go through before you even get to concept where you're just going through your basic overall sketches. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to, I might, like I said, I might come back, but I'm going to let the rest, uh, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, see what uh, uh, Mary and um, uh, Commissioner Lou both have to say. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Lou. Thank you, Commissioner Stryker, and thank you, uh, Commissioner Schneer and uh, Commissioner Shioda for your feedback. And thank you, Colleen, so much for the very comprehensive presentation. First of all, congratulations for the steps so far. Uh, unfortunately, I was on a plane last time uh, during the meeting, so I wasn't able to see the meeting uh, presented in live, but uh, Commissioner Schneer actually sent me all uh, all the information way in advance. I was using computer Wi-Fi on the plane to see everything. And I do have uh, some feedbacks I'd love to kind of bring to your attention because I did some user research uh, with folks who, who works in Chinatown, especially um, uh, one of the main person who was in uh, Chinese hospital for 18 years. And I was very curious to hear, you know, what um, they have to say in terms of putting the dragon well, it's an abstraction of the dragon and it's in the color, sort of a darker color onto top of the building and, and what they have to say to it. And I think I surveyed about 10 people. Uh, I think a majority of people actually didn't really was able to tell that was a dragon, especially from a distance because it's such an abstraction. 
And the other thing I think that majority of the people that I surveyed um, uh, in, in my personal uh, sort of time is is that they have a bit of concern about you know the uh, just just the overall feel of having something like that like that on top of of the of the building whether or not it symbolically make that connection of a dragon that was a, that was questionable so that was sort of what i did in terms of my personal research with folks who lives and works over there and i would strongly urge um, and and also that was my personal reaction when i saw it on the plane uh, my my first reaction was i wasn't sure uh, i i made that mental connection first so uh, what I'm trying to say here is I would love to see if there could be some sort of survey uh, for people who actually work in a hospital or people who live by and ask the community what they see, um, you know, before we actually tell them what this is. And I think because in the past it was on top of the building and it was sort of integrated with the building and I totally understand this is a very challenging project. I see the before and after, and I'm so impressed of the step you've taken so far. I think the the major thing that I personally also feel uh, in terms of the, the symbology here uh, with the dragon on the top, especially against the sky, uh, whether or not that really communicate the intention of of the of the communication. That that's something I think I would love to see what the community have to say in order to decide um, if the location was indeed appropriate. Oh, Ying, um, this is Julia Lowy. I'm the Bureau Manager for Bureau of Architecture. Um, I don't know if uh, Colin had a slide showing it from across the street, but he might have. Um, I was also a little bit concerned about it being on the roof, but actually when I saw the views from different perspectives on the street, um, that really kind of convinced me there was another one we used to have that actually was more of a, um, you know, perspective of you actually standing on the sidewalk. Um, a lot of people, the location that it is now, most people don't even know that the dragon's there over the That's tunnel. Right. They yep. don't even recognize it. But, um, and I, I was like with you, but I came around when I uh, eventually, especially when you see it from standing a uh, perspective of across the street, um, yeah. not so much as this view, but as actually standing and looking up because then it really kind of stands out and it actually, you can see it from farther away and it starts to actually look like a dragon as opposed to people zipping through the tunnel all the time and they don't even know what it is. I understand. I absolutely understand what uh, from the angle from the angle of view, it does actually resembles the, the shape and the form of a dragon because I have a preconceived notion that was a dragon. And I think that if you um, just ask for people in on the street what that is, I'm curious what people will have to say. And secondly, from someone who is growing up in Chinese culture or Asian culture in general, if you even just Google black dragon on, on, on the Internet, what you see is actually not anything resembles Chinese culture. Right. That's someone who's born and raised in my, you know, my, my heritage, we typically do, do not have a black dragon. In, well, this in, is the color that it is. Actually. Exactly. That was what yeah. I'm trying to say. I completely understand the difficulty and the complexity of the pre-existing dragon that right. was on top of the building. And it wasn't even being noticed by the community in the first place. Mm -hmm. However, now that if you elevate it to the, to the place on top of the building, that's a huge statement you're making. 
which I think it's it's remarkable that we're making that decision of highlighting the dragon. But we need to take into the consideration now that we are creating something on top of the existing structure that was maybe not being seen by the community for the longest time, it's going to create new conversation. And I hope that this is actually an elevated conversation instead of questioning about what is that? And, and you know, I think that, again, I, I really think uh, uh, this is not just feng shui. This is just, I think, asking tourists what that is. Because mm -hmm. over there, it's not just people who, you know, are locally Chinese. There are people right. who are tourists. Ask them what that is. I mean, do a user research, just survey people on the street in Chinatown around that area in the approximate, you know, uh, a, a mile radium and, and just radius and, and do that for 30 people. And, and I think you will have a more clear understanding of what the general public will perceive because we're doing this for public, right? Mm -hmm. So right. I would, I would really appreciate if we could do that because I think that will, because we see the design on a daily basis, we know that's a dragon. But for general public, they don't, and they will have something probably quite refreshing for you to hear about. Mm -hmm. Well, I also wonder if it's if it's the color because of all the soot, you know, right now. I, I, I do think the color is one of my major concern because if you just Google black dragon again, I, I just Googled the black dragon before I, I get onto the meeting. And I, I actually do not see anything. Uh, in fact, it's more, well, more of the yeah, it's, it's originally bronze and um, there's two materials right now that it was made out of originally. We're trying to find a picture of it, what it looked like at first of the original installation. And we do think that an art restoration consultant might be good too, because this is the first one of the very first commissioned pieces of art from the uh, art commission. It's incredible to see it from details. It's incredible to also see the concept behind it. It's just really tough for people to grasp grasp it when they're seeing it from distance. And I, I, I think, you know, a lot of times people see it from a distance and they will form their own interpretation based on their preconceived knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to take those things into consideration. We're doing this for the public. They mm -hmm. will not have the opportunity to learn the history when they see it. Um, I'd like to interrupt this just briefly. Um, there's a lot of, of discussion about the dragon and I'm wondering, um, Commissioner Carney, if you have some comments about the dragon as well. If not, it might be a good time to ask Director Mary Chu to step in and talk about the dragon and then we can switch back to you. What What is your preference? I do have comments on the dragon, but I okay, could uh, jump wait. In then. I could wait until Mary talks. I have other comments. Yeah, your about, choice. About your the choice. Dragon. Um, all right. Well, first of all, Colin, uh, thank you very much for this. I really like that the uh, the entrance. You put a lot more detail into the entrance, and um, and added you know the plants and the boulders, and opened the stairwell. I think all of that is great. Thank you for that, and. Regarding the dragon, um, gosh, I learned a lot just now in that discussion. I didn't realize it was bronze. I know that um, the moor in front of the uh, Davies Symphony Hall was redone. It came out so much different than it used to be. It was almost black before, and now it's absolutely gorgeous. 
I don't know how long it will stay that way, what kind of finish coat you have to put on it to make, to preserve it. But maybe that will change everybody's viewpoint of it because it certainly doesn't look black in front of Davies Hall. So I doubt that the dragon really is black. Um, thank you for looking at the support system for the dragon. I do agree with you and Julia that it really highlights it and shows it off to be up in the air on the roof. And I agree with Commissioner Liu that nobody knows what it is uh, above the garage. You can hardly even see it when it blends in. So being up in the air, I think, will help it. And the supports, I'm glad that you minimized them. They, they could maybe even be minimized further. Yeah. We, yeah. we did discuss um, contacting the artist. She's still alive somewhere in Arizona, I believe. Um, maybe that would just add more confusion to the mix, but she might have an opinion on placement and maintenance and just seeing it blown up and those scales on the dragon is so beautiful. I hadn't really noticed that before and I've been to the site twice, but your, the blow up you just showed of the scales on it is so beautiful and no one can see it where it is now and they'll even see it less on the roof, above the roof, but at least they might get an idea of the image of it floating there. And um, Commissioner Liu's suggestion of asking people what it is, <laughs> that would be good too, just to know, because if they don't know what it means, then probably nobody does. It, it's hard to figure out what the shape is. Um, regarding the rest of the building, the, I really like the thick wall, as I mentioned last time. The catwalk, I think, is really nice. It's, like I said, it's kind of like Grand Central Station. You'll see people walking back and forth from the street. And as for the perforated mullions, I think the perforations would be ideal because you would see the view better. However, um, remember soot and exhaust is, and tire debris is your biggest enemy there on that site. When cars come out of the tunnel, it just flows upward, all of the soot from the tires and everything. And the perforations are one more ledge to, to hold the perforations. But if you can water blast it now that you have a catwalk, because being inside of those offices and seeing the view of downtown should really be an important goal. And that's what you've done. And that's why you moved the dragon. I can see why the dragon, um, why there are pluses to moving the dragon, because you get the views out of that lower level. Um, gosh, I think that covers everything of my comments. So now I'm interested in what Mary has to say about the dragon. Thank you. Those are thoughtful. Um, uh, Deputy Director Chu, could you please um, chat with us a little bit about your thoughts on the dragon sculpture? Sure. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Stryker and, your, and all commissioners for your comments. Um, so we have been meeting, um, as Colin said, with a team to talk about the placement of the dragon. We knew uh, that this renovation was occurring and there was going to, you know, this dragon was going to have to be um, recited in some way. And so it has been installed for 50 years, um, which is quite a significant amount of time. We have not been up there to take a look at it. So um, we will need to do that um, in order to determine, you know, what, you know, what the presentation can be, if it can be presented successfully in the way that it's shown at the top of the roof. We are not certain about it until we can get up there and actually take a look at it and see what the condition of the piece is. Um, so having said that too, 
um, you know, it's a very different presentation of the dragon than what it was really originally and, you know, designed for coming out of the facade of the building. Um, Colin, in an image that you showed, you know, in the proximity to with its closer proximity to the ground, you do get that sense of the scales, that detail that we feel like, you know, would be not as visible, right? If you're putting it on top of the roof. And so we also, you know, question how it will look from the backside. You know, currently, obviously, you can't see the dragon from the backside. That's not an intended view. But just in terms of, you know, when people are looking at it from the other side, what is that going to look like? So I think there's some questions and some additional, you know, uh, questions we have about how well the piece is, you know, held up and, you know, some further investigation that we need to do in, a, in order to determine what the correct kind of relocation of this piece will be. And I, you know, I full, we fully recognize that, yes, it's great to bring in more light and we want, you know, the user experience to be better. But I also, you know, think we need to be mindful about how this dragon is integrated back into the architecture of the site. So hoping that we can find a way to balance um, these two. And I think it's not necessarily an easy an easy task um, to do. And the one, uh, another note that, you know, our records show actually that the artist um, has passed. So um, unfortunately is no longer alive. And we have reached out to the fabricator. The fabricator still exists and they are aware of the piece. We're trying to find some additional information about the piece. I believe our records initially indicate though that the, uh, finish of the dragon is a matte finish and that is what was um uh that was what was desired by the artist i think once we are able to connect with the fabricator to get more information um, we can confirm that and hopefully we'll have some images of what what it looked like when it was first installed um, so hope that helps and um, let me know if you have any any questions Okay, that's very helpful. So it seems like the the dragon piece is somewhat on hold just until we can determine its condition. Okay. So may I suggest may I make a comment? Sure. Um, the, since the dragon piece is part of the art component, would it be appropriate to have that discussion separated from the architecture? Yes, it can be entirely. It okay. seems that it's integrated into the existing building, and so and it, that's a significant part of the building, but it does seem appropriate to have that discussion separately. And normally the CDR committee can make some recommendations, but we do not uh, normally determine art in art locations. So yes. that, that is under the purview of the visual arts committee and so that's where the final decisions will likely be made but hopefully jointly with the architect so i don't know if that answers your question but hopefully it's helpful thank you okay and then um, i see that commissioners hands are up um, if you have um, already spoken and don't want to repeat, um, take your hand down. Otherwise, I'll call on you. Commissioner Liu? 
Uh, thank you, Commissioner Stryker, and thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, Mary, for your um, more, more and uh, Commissioner Carney for, for uh, all the things you have mentioned. I did wanted to mention one more thing about the language, um, about the placement of the bilingual language. That's also um, another thing I think I mentioned early on uh, to Commissioner Stryker. Um, I think because of the placement of the Chinese language is on the side of the building, majority um, in a much bigger scale. Um, I'm curious if there might be a way that for the lower um, when Colin said, when I really appreciate quote, uh, we want to bring it down to more like human scale. So I was curious if there might be a way to have the Chinese characters of the Chinatown uh, Public Health Center um, where the Chinese, the English are, is it possible for us to also have bilingual Chinese next to it? Simply because, you know, if we consider about the elderly people um, and, and when they kind of walk, it's easier for them them to spot uh, the language as well. And so that's also something I think it would be wonderful to also have taken into the consideration uh, to have the bilingual signs uh, in a lower sort of human scale level as well. Okay. Thank Perfect. you. Yes. Um, yes. And Commissioner Shioda. Thank you, Commissioner Stryker. Um, I, I just had a couple comments. Um, has so a, a couple questions to for the architectural team um, and maybe the planning, the project management team um, of this project. I don't know what your timeline is. I don't know what your budget is based on at this moment. Um, uh, I, I know that you are in kind of an escalated time frame because you're going in for phase one, phase two. So I, I think that part of there's, there's a lot of moving parts here and I understand that. Um, so I, I would like you all to be able to tell us when something's when you've got milestones that you're pushing up against in terms of permits, procedures, um, things that will delay. Um, I'm, I just come from a project management standpoint from the built environment. So I understand those factors as well. So you've got, you know, and, and I, I understand like going back to the community, asking them about this thing. I mean, one of the problems with maybe potentially with this piece is that it's a piece that was put on 50 years ago that possibly didn't go through the process that it should have or or the you know or or right i i've gone through this tunnel a thousand times i always thought it was i didn't know what it was i thought it was like a coat of arms or something um so is is the i guess with this whole conversation you know the that the bank of windows there that you're trying to open up for the other side of the dental offices is that at risk is 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 one of the one of the considerations not moving the the piece or if it does have to move it's the roof or have you looked at the sides other other two sides where actually because i think one of the things stopping further you know kind of looking at this piece and seeing the scales is that you're zooming through Broadway tunnel at 
40 miles an hour. So could it be placed on one side of the building or the other if the roof is not appropriate? I'm, I'm just, these are questions I don't, I'm not asking for studies. I'm just asking the architectural team um, what, what their thoughts are on that. And then also, um, yeah, so, um, and then also the art as a, just as a thought experiment, some of the art, because nobody knows this is a dragon because it's a fixed thing that goes with this building because you're on a budget and you can't reorient the space like if a feng shui master said, come in and, you know, you should reorient the, the entrance to the other side. Well, that's not going to be possible with the budget and the timeline. So completely understand that. But with some of the artistic elements within the building, the art opportunities, could that be in conversation with this marquee piece that was the first piece of the building and kind of add to the narrative of the piece, add to the intentionality of, of what it represents. Um, those are just questions I'm putting out there, but so that it becomes this educational item that's like going up the stairwells that tells the story to the ultimate dragon on the top of the roof, if that's where it was gonna be, or, or just as educational to the piece itself so that the artwork inside the building is in conversation with this marquee piece of artwork that is going to stay with the building. So those are just ideas that I'm throwing out there um, to kind of address concerns, um, but also the existing conditions of the building as it is and the, um, the piece that has been there for 50 years. So that's all. Thank you. I'd like to call on uh, Commissioner Schneer and Commissioner Carney, but first I have a quick question. Is it possible or has it been considered um, whether or not it may be appropriate to have this piece inside the building where it can be really enjoyed close up and see the texture and the color? Yeah, can I, can I respond to, uh, to Janine's question and also your question? Uh, yes, just have have you considered that and is that that would also be a question to um, Deputy Director Chu as well. Yes, so um, we um, are currently we've, in our last meeting a week ago with the Arts Commission, we're looking at every single possible location for this piece of art. I mean, one of the things about putting it on the roof, you know, if if for some reason we can't put it on the roof, finding another place for it, so maybe some other building, some other place could, you know, be a possibility. It certainly wouldn't hold up the project. Putting it back okay. where it was wouldn't hold up the project if we just made kept that a blank wall and kept that the existing that you see right there. I mean, mm -hmm. then we could do that. If we have to take it down, we want to put some natural light in there, put that back up against a glass wall or a storefront. You know, we did a cost exercise of that. It would be a very heavy redesign of the facade. Um, would change everything. Would probably need to, you know, show that to you guys again and, and get that what that looks like. Um, so mm -hmm. that could definitely hold up the project. The pro the um, the thickness of this thing is about 18 inches, and it's about you know 20 feet long, or no much more than that. Actually, it's like um, 40 feet long, um, and we are so tight inside this building for space. We don't have enough storage. We don't have enough space for 
you know, a lot of things in this building that we want. So the idea of it going inside, it would be taking up major real estate in terms of floor plate in the building that we don't have. Mm -hmm. And we have the, the childhood development center is coming in from a project that's twice as big and too much smaller space now. Okay. You know, there's you know, yeah, there's never have, enough space, especially yeah. in yeah. public health. So that'd be great. I mean, we could be put it in the in the tunnel, you know, maybe. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to move about. on because this, we are way over time on this project, but it's, it's an yeah. important one and we want to get it right. So um, I want to hear from everyone. Um, Commissioner Carney. Yes, um, now we don't, we're not sure where it is, but if it does end up on the roof, um, we discussed maybe it should be lit. Um, if it's the first one of the first pieces to ever go through the Arts Commission, it should definitely be lit. <laughs> but you know, if it's going to hover over Chinatown, which is very busy at night, you know, when the restaurants and everything are in full swing, why not light it up? And for that matter, why not the Chinese characters too that go down the facade? Commissioner Liu wanted them to be. You know, we could have the smaller scale one for pedestrians to see in Chinese characters. But you know the Chinese characters themselves can be considered additional artwork. They could be backlit at night as they go down the the tunnel side and the um, you know the Mason side. The cable cars going by would see them on the Mason side. So as for the dragon, you mentioned the back of it. So that's true. No one knows what the back of its light like and what it would look like to the neighbors looking down on the hill. I think Janine mentioned that. Someone mentioned the back of it. Anyways, um, so there might be a way to cover that up with the armature that's holding that up. Or maybe it could be even on a, a thin blade parapet that sticks up. It's currently on a, a blank wall. So you could have, it would be set back from the red item. So you'd, you wouldn't want it in, in that same plane, but if it was set back and a blade, but it's probably so tall, the neighbors might not like having that blade sticking up, blocking the, the view. But that's just a consideration. If the art piece was designed to be on a flat wall, maybe you could give it another flat wall on the roof if it turns out to be unsightly from the back. So that's all I had, but my main point was the lighting, if you can work that in somehow. Thank you, and I think you guys are doing a great job. Okay, thank you for those comments. And then uh, Deputy Director Chu. Oh, I missed. Uh... Commissioner Schneer. Uh, let, Commissioner uh, Schneer, why don't you speak first? Uh, let Deputy Director Chu please speak because I think she might have more information for us okay. and then I'll follow sure. up. Thank you. That sounds great. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. And just my, my title is Director of Public Art. <laughs> so oh, sorry. We're, to clarify. we're just stomping around on that. <laughs> so I just wanted to say in, um, in comment to having the piece go elsewhere, um, we really would like to see the piece integrated back into the site um, as much as we can. The uh, problem that we would come across if we were to just, you know, take it down with, without having a site relocated is that, you know, the funds to take this down and to reinstall it are going to be significant. And we, you know, if we were to do that and as well as storage costs. So, you know, currently the project budget is covering that the, um, and you know, the arts commission budget will cover the conservation of the work. So, you know, our concern with just deinstalling it and not putting it back would be that it would remain in storage and we would not be able to find the, 
you know, a proper location or be able to identify the funds necessary to reinstall it. So, you know, we would really, really like to see um, us be able to work with the architects to figure a way to integrate this piece back into the site. Thank you. And then Commissioner Schneer. Yes, thank you. And um, I'm glad that director. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mary Chu uh, uh, got to speak first to help to clarify things. It seems to me, and I also appreciate what uh, the other commissioners had to say about uh, the art piece. Um, first of all, the one image that we saw of what it looked like when it was new and bronze. I mean, it's beautiful. And what uh, Commissioner Carney was saying about, you know, if it's restored, it could look amazing. Um, I can certainly see that. And then where it would go might reflect differently at that point. It seems to me there's so many unanswered questions about the dragon artwork that we need more information before we really can figure out and that the team can figure out what to do. Is there a way possibly to table that aspect of the design and let the rest of the design go through so that we're not holding up what you're trying to do? That's that's a question out there, and I don't know who can answer that, but I, I have that question out there. Also, I wanted to ask about the signage, particularly the Chinese characters. I believe they're 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 so huge and and tall on both the Broadway side and the Mason Street side. And um I'm not my understanding is that there is a a code limit for signage for how big it can be. Now, I know that hospitals have a certain, you know, uh, latitude within that, but um, I'm just wondering about the size of those on both sides and uh, how large they are. So it's a question. Okay, thank you. And that's it. Um, I think that we need to wrap this up. We're way over time. I'm glad that we spent the time. I think it's very important on this project, a very important and tight project. Um, there's some big questions here that relate to the architecture and the art being integrated, whether or not the art will remain in the same place, will certainly, if it did, would certainly affect the architectural design. And that is also a large expense. So we have to figure out a way to balance this. Um, here's what I propose, that we take this not as a one, phase one, two um, vote, but we separate this and um, I create a, a motion with some contingencies to pass at phase one. Um, and we'll see how you vote on this, but this is, would be my um, motion that we pass this project at phase one that with the following contingencies. If there is an armature, it not be highly visible. That there is a feng shui master who would be required if, please comment if that is not something that the commissioners want, but it sounded like it was, um, consulted so that we can be sure that the building goes forward appropriately for this community. That um, there be a study working with the visual arts committee and uh, director Chu on 
art location that uh, there be lighting considered for phase two, that a survey be done, and that the Chinese signage, the characters relate more to a, a human scale. Okay, Kimberly, can I? That's a lot. Yeah, Kimberly, can I address that one of those? Yes. Okay, our client DPH um, thinks that it's inappropriate to ask for a feng shui consultant, I'm sorry. We actually asked the, the user group and the staff of the clinic at the very beginning of the project if they wanted a feng shui consultant and they said no. There are many, many different factions of feng shui consultants and some of our team have worked with them in Chinatown and it's just been very extremely controversial and um, it's been very hard to get them to align. We did our okay. best to address this, but we don't know if this has to do, this is an existing building that we're renovating. Um, we're behind schedule and um, we did our best to address uh, respectfully the feng shui comments, but we're not sure if a feng shui consultant is something that we can do at this point. We even brought it up at the um, community meeting, but nobody asked for it at the community meeting. We can certainly go back to the community and ask if they want it. But, uh, and, okay. uh, and then the other okay. thing is, why are we, we've done so many projects, but now the art and the architecture are being integrated. Whereas we have not heard a lot of comments on, we've got the materials, we've got the design. We, we, we would like to get approval for phase one and two for the architecture. I mean, and I see that the dragon is a big part of this, but um, it would be good to get, you know, and I, I can see a contingency on how we resolve the dragon issue, but um, we we haven't heard any comments on the materiality, the selection of the materials, the architectural design. I think we've got approval on the architectural design, but we're not hearing that. Okay, those are good comments and thank you. I think that, that people, I will speak for myself and then I'm gonna ask for commissioner's comment. Um, I think that the design is fine, my personal take. It looks good, I think it is, is open, it solves lots of problems, it welcome, it's welcoming, the entrance being open is very welcoming. And so the, the hang up is how the, the biggest hang up is how the art is integrated because it will affect the design of the uh, front entrance. So how how to separate those things I think is is challenging. Commissioners, do you have comments? I see Commissioner Shiota has a comment. This is a tough one. Yeah, thank you, I do. Um, so I, I completely am empathetic to the uh, feng shui idea because here's, here's the reality of the built environment is that this is an existing building and if a feng shui master or masters comes back and says, you know, this is an unacceptable building, they, they can't redesign it. And so you would hire a consultant, but not be able to, to take their consultation or, you know, or take down, you know, basically to, to do it from scratch, you'd have to do it from scratch, take down the building and that's not, they can't do that. So, you know, there's time, there's money, there's a, it's really, the, you know, they, they have limitations with the existing structure as it is. 
um, and what they're trying to put in it uh, for the services for the people. So, you know, um, in a perfect world, there would be all of those elements. But if if it, you know, it what it sounds like to me is that that kind of um, that kind of assessment of the building, actually, mm -hmm. they can't do anything with it anyway. So they've yeah. got to do the best that they can with what they've got. You know, here's um, another thought. Sometimes yeah. the art component, because this is, you know, this dragon was actually one of the first commissioned art for the art commission in the city, believe it or not. And sometimes the art components become parts of other projects. Has anyone thought that maybe this dragon could become part of another project or installed somewhere in public realm somewhere else? I just I just thought of that. It's just a thought. In other okay. words, could we get approval for the architecture, but with contingency that we still have to deal with the dragon? Okay. Um, other commissioners, uh, other comments, commissioners? Commissioner Liu? And we have to keep this very brief. I'm sorry, yeah, but we we'll keep we it very brief. Um, I think to answer uh, Julia's question, I do think there's new buildings that is being built in Chinatown. It's actually a media center that's close to the um, the, the Portsmouth Square, and uh, potentially that could be a place to look at if. Um, in any case, if the dragon needs a new place, um, I could recommend um, that 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 location. Okay, thank you. And Commissioner Carney. Yes, um, I'm ready to approve the architecture as it is, but we need one thing clarified, and that's the um, the dental dental clinic. We have to let them know that we're okay with taking that lower wall behind the the dragon away. So I would approve the architecture as they've drawn it with the dental clinic having light. Can you explain that to me? I'm sorry, I'm missing something. Are you uh, are you saying approve the architecture at phase one and two with the dental clinic, and then there's a missing piece for me right there? No, you you were taking it as as two motions, I believe the the artwork and approving the architecture. Yes, I think we are going to approve the art artwork at all. We're not going to touch that until we get more information. Isn't it a separate? Right. I think they need one thing clarified before we approve the architecture, and that's that we agree that we can take that wall out for the dental clinic so that we would approve it as drawn with light coming into the dental area. Okay, so can we make that um, adjustment to our motions? Um, the only thing I would like to say about that is uh, we can go, if we go ahead and do that, we also have to understand that we might have the dragon come back and be placed there. So, um, just being aware that that's a possibility, as long as everyone's open to that, I can understand going ahead with that. For the architectural plans, architectural yeah, I was design. going to mention that that precludes the dragon from going back there, but. Yeah, and if it does, then I, I have problems with that, but um, yeah. I, I need to keep that open as a possibility. And um, if we have to go ahead and approve it and that that goes away, then I have issues with it. Okay, well, I, I understand it. It, it, it does add a little confusion, but my point is, is that they wanted us to approve the architecture and to do that, it would preclude that the dragon goes back as, if we approve it as drawn. And if we keep it up in the air, then they don't know which direction to go with that piece of the project. Yes, this is the circle we've been talking about for a while. Um, and we, and I, how to move forward is challenging. Didn't Mary have something? She had her hand up for a minute. It, does she have a, a, 
uh, I'd love to hear from her right now. Yes, please. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, again, caution the idea of just putting it somewhere else. You know, like I have mentioned before, we have the budget right now to reinstall it. And if we were to take it down, we, we don't have a budget for reinstallation of this piece and it would be in storage and would, you know, this would be, um, you know, a loss for this, you know, for this building, not to have the original work integrated into, into the facade. So, um, so just wanted but to this is the catch 22 where the architecture can't move forward because we don't know enough about the art and the art then drives the design of the building. So that's a challenge. Just just one thought on the drawing that's currently up on the screen over the entranceway, the where it's yes. Chinatown Health Center. What if the just as a thought, if you've looked at it, what if the dragon was sort of floating off that? It might be cantilevered off the sidewalk a bit, but then it would be closer to human scale. They would see it from the cable car, people walking up the street. Anyway, I know this is just adding more confusion to the mix, but that if it were down at that scale, it might not block that area if it's projecting a bit over the sidewalk. Are you talking about the um, front facade, the entrance facade, or the side facade? The, the front that's on the screen now, it says Chinatown Public Library Center, you know, the blade that goes across the entrance. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Colin? Would... So you look at the lower right. So that's the size of the dragon. And uh, if you put it there, um, you know, you, you would block the views into the waiting area um, or you would put it at the spandrel as you're sewing there. It's so large that it goes across the um, stairway a little bit. Um, so, you know, and then it has to cantilever out. It would be more expensive, definitely. Um, but and in terms of, yes, it'd be quite a redesign to put it there in the lower right. And it's also out of scale, you know, it's, but it's, I mean, it's it's something we did look at. If it was down right on top of the blade sign, I actually think it would be lovely to be in the waiting room and see the back of it, depending on how the back of it looks. And that would put it at pedestrian scale, but anyway, just a thought if it can't go up on, on the roof on the tunnel side. And the one that's going vertically and the second drawing, I don't, yeah, that would change the whole intent of the art. Yeah, no, that was just, I mean, these are just, um, what we need to do is find a way to allow the architects to move forward with this project. Um, Another uh, option would be to put it on in the in the garage screen area there. Yeah, I was looking at that. Is that um, something that's possible? I think we'd have to look at the ventilation to make sure that we still get the ventilation we need in the garage. Um, I think it would be lost there. Yeah, nobody would know it was there, but it's lost now. So, so in a way, so. It seems well, to me go. that Commissioner Carney's ideas of uh, having it lower would solve a number of problems. One, it would allow the architects to move forward. Two, it would maintain the piece in on the same building. Commissioners, how do you feel about that? I'm not and, quite understanding what you're proposing. Uh, clarification, please. So he's saying mount it right above the lettering Chinatown Public Health Center there, and but there's still um, space behind it where you get into as a catwalk to clean the fins so that it's protruded out beyond the fins, 
and they can still clean the fins and so light still gets into the area beyond but it's just above it's just like mounted on the the ledge there thank you and if we could look at that it's still very large i mean and and and, and that's one idea we could study and then mary if it it would be nice if we could consider what ying was what ying was suggesting is maybe it could be part of another site with actually the history and it is an exhibit of it and everything is as it was originally designed All right, um, I started to make a motion and now we're kind of going <laughs> in a long uh, circle here. So let me try to propose something and tell help me with the language so we can get this right for everyone and, and the architects can move forward and the art will be uh, well served as well. Um, to make a motion to approve phase one and two of the architecture and um, that the art placement will be studied for either the front or a possible other location. That the armature will not be visible if it is used, that it will be lit appropriately. A survey will be made, oh boy. Um, I'm sorry, I, let me backtrack a little bit because this is, I'm trying to blend one and two. First of all, let me ask you, commissioners, do you believe that this architecture should be approved at phase one and two? And then I'll, I'll phrase my motion more clearly. Would, would I'm not ready to do it for phase one and two, only for phase one. Do That's other commissioners feel the same way? There's a question about the feng shui. I can let the feng shui go at this point with all the stuff going on, if that's that important. And, and from what Julia had to say in terms of uh, their discussions with the community and stuff, I was more concerned. It sounded to me like there hadn't been any really discussions with the community. Um, and there has been a lot that's been done. Um, I am concerned about the size of the signage, but that's something that can be done later on that's not going to keep them from uh, going ahead with their plans. But I can't in good conscience um, do phase two yet at this point because there's there's other issues that I, I need to get answers to. Are there expressed. any other commissioners that have this same perspective? I think that we're ready to approve the architecture other than the dragon, aren't we? Um, Commissioner Snare, except for the what happens to the dental clinic. Um, there, that's an unknown. If the dragon has to stay where it is, then the then the wall has to be higher on that floor. So, all right. Well, it sounds like every, there's only one person who believes that this should be divided into phase uh, one and two. Um, so let me move forward with a motion again. Let me rephrase. I'm sorry about this. This is kind of crazy, but it's a, a challenging situation. Um, that the motion be that we have, uh, we approve the architecture of phase one and two, 
that the art placement be studied in tandem with um, Director Mary Chu and her staff, and that if there is armature, it not be very visible, that there be lighting as appropriate, and that the characters that name the health clinic be more human scale and relate to human form closer to the street, that they're down lower so they're readable. Do I have a, a motion? Okay, so. Um, well, I have one, one clarification on the latter. I think what Commissioner Lou meant was that there be a second set of, of characters at the human scale. Is that what you meant, okay. Commissioner Lou? Yes, yes, that's what I meant. Okay, Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I do not have a motion, so we are not able to pass this project. Well, well I'll, I'll move your motion. If okay, a do I have a second? Okay, second. we are not able to pass second. this project. Second, Shiota, sorry, I couldn't, I, I had to log back in, so. Okay. Um, I couldn't go off mute, so you've got a second. Okay. Um, do we have any public comment on this project and this discussion? Um, if you're already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on screen. We are currently on item seven, Chinatown Public Health Center. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you are listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30-second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay in the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes at sfgov.org. Um, and let me take a look at the list. I see one hand raised. Um, I'm going, caller, I'm going to unmute you. Can you hear us? This is Susan Karasoff. I'm a resident and I live two blocks away from this building. Um, and I ask, I, I really like this design. I'm not sure you realize that Jean Parker Elementary School is on the north side of this building, and that elementary school already looks like a prison, and the way the building currently looks now contributes to it looking like a prison. So the updated version with more windows and more color um, will at least get a little, perhaps a little bit of reflected light into this elementary school and make it look less like a prison. So thank you so much. My comments are complete. Thank you. Any other public comment? Don't see any other hands raised. Um, one more minute, one more moment. Um, I don't see any more hands raised. Um, there's no more public comment for this item and public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. Will you please read back the motion and put it up for a vote? Yes, Let me, and correct me if I have it right <laughs> or wrong, please. <laughs> 
Um, so motion to pass phase one and two of the architecture with the following contingencies. Art placement will be studied um, in tandem with public art staff. The armature will not be visible if used. Um, it'll be lit appropriately. And the characters that name the clinic should be more human scale and be closer down, lower down on street level to human height. Does that sound correct? It does to me. Um, uh, there was did I the, capture that correctly? There was the additional that uh, Commissioner Liu had spoke oh. about, right? Yes. Okay, then we have to go. If we change this motion, we have to go back. Oh. Um, and re let's let's go add. I'm sorry. Let's add Commissioner Liu's comment about um, a double. Um, if I have it correctly, it's a, a row of language above on the mark uh, it, on the canopy at the entrance, and then along the side. Is that correct? Uh, it's just the canopy have bilingual version of the okay. of the English and and the Chinese. That's Thank you. Sorry, I'm I've got so many scribbled notes here. Um, th so I would have to remake the the motion. Let me let me make and it would have to be first and seconded again. Let me go over it again. Um, do I have a motion to approve phase one and two of the architectural design? There will be a study that includes a study of the location of the dragon artwork in tandem with uh, the visual arts committee and director Mary Chu and her staff. There would be a uh, appropriate lighting for that artwork and that the characters for the uh, signage relate to human scale and that the bilingual, that they be bilingual. Do I have a motion? So move, Shiota. Do I have a second? Second, Carney. Okay. Um, public comment? Um, um, if you're already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on screen. We're currently on item seven, Chinatown Public Health Center. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you are listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30 second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes.sfgov.org. Um, and I'm looking, I don't see any hands raised. Um, and public comment for this period is for this item is now closed. Okay, can we have a vote please? Yes, uh, Commissioner Stryker. Aye. Commissioner Carney. Aye. Commissioner Liu. 
Aye. Commissioner Shiota. Aye. And Commissioner Schneer. Nay. Uh, the motion passes, but not unanimously. Okay, thank you. Thank you for everyone for your patience and input into this really complex discussion. It's the hardest one I've had in 12 years. On this again, our committee, and I appreciate everyone's input. Okay, let's move to our next item, which is um, the phase two review of Transbay Block uh, 3 Park. Team, are you ready? Yes, we are. Good afternoon. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Kathleen O'Day. And um, are you able to go to the next slide, Paris? Um, you're someone from your team, I believe Lawrence will be screen sharing. Okay, great. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, so my name is Kathleen O'Day. I'm the uh, public works project manager of the new Transbay Block 3 Park and Streetscape Improvement Project. Uh, next slide. And I'm joined here today with members of our team. Uh, the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, who are the project client. Laura Shifley is the project client representative. The Recreation and Parks Department, who are the anticipated future park owner. Uh, Monica Scott is the Rec and Park project manager there. And finally, our Public Works design team, who will rep they will uh, present the design today of the new park and stewardship building. Uh, we have today with us Lawrence Cuevas, who is the landscape design lead, and Ioana Goodwin, who is the architecture design lead. And uh, we anticipate the bidding of the project spring 2023. It's going to be a two-year construction, and uh, the new park and streetscape improvements will be completed by late fall 2025. Uh, so without further delay, I'll hand off the presentation to my colleagues to present the design for Civic Design Phase 2 review. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, commissioners. Again, I'm Lawrence Cuevas with the Public Works Bureau of the, uh, Landscape Architecture. And so quickly, we're just going to start with some context. Our one acre park site is in the northeast uh, quadrant of the city, and it's one of three blocks being formed out of the former temporary Transbay Terminal, pictured here. It's also worth noting that the future park is centrally located in the neighborhood's existing and growing open space network. And this is just an overview of the design framework that we keep returning to as we refine the design of the park. First, we want to make sure we're creating space for community health and gathering. We want to make sure that this park is sustainable and provides ecological value and that we want to uh, celebrate the site history through the park. So really knowing that this used to be the intertidal zone, it was rich with biodiversity and cultural significance. Also understanding that this was an important maritime history um, or it has had important maritime and industrial history for the city of San Francisco and seeing ways that we can sort of celebrate that history through the forms in the park, as well as using materials like wood decking, um, as well as salvaged San Francisco cobble and granite curbs. We're also really excited about the selection of Mark Bell Sasaki and his proposal titled Granite City um, as the public enrichment program for the park. One of the key sort of uh, concepts that he described was really exploring the relationship between the natural environment and the built kind of human modified environment. So we think he'll be a perfect partner and are excited to work further with him on this project. 
This is a look at the illustrative plan that we presented in our CDR phase one, as well as the summary of the main sort of design direction that we received on the left. So first is to refine the paths that kind of go through the central habitat space, develop a palette specifically towards specific habitat, um, and also to work with experts in the field and to reimagine and simplify the stewardship building. And so this was all really great feedback and we're excited to share with you how we have responded. Um, so looking at the current site plan, this is uh, illustrative of where we are now with the design. And so you can see that overall the park design, all the park program elements and spaces have not changed, but what we've done is to refine the forms of the park to make sure that these different elements are constructible and maintainable. And we've also refined the proportions of the various spaces and the connections between them. So on that note, in response to CDR phase one, comment one, we did refine the paths through the central habitat. We actually also reworked the shape of the central deck to provide provide a nice hub between those paths and also provide a better connection between the nature exploration area and the children's play area, which also has its own deck. And this deck is a little bit sort of like a family deck. It supports picnic tables um, and other seating. And so here we are zoomed into that playground enlargement. Um, overall, the playground is inspired by that intertidal zone. So in the same way that you know the land used to slope down to the water, um, this playground is organized into two main levels. We've got the school-aged play at a higher level, approximately 18 inches above the, the family deck and the toddler-aged play. And to kind of provide a nice transition between that, we're also providing a nice sort of sloped condition, which offers more opportunity for uh, nature play elements which are pictured on this next slide. Um, so you can see on this slide, you can get a sense of the overall materiality of the elements that we're proposing in the playground. We're really looking to focus on as much natural material, uh, specifically wood elements in the playground elements themselves, including the large custom brown pelican place sculpture, which of course, uh, you know, celebrates the, the brown pelican, which is an important and iconic bird in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and in general, really trying to work uh, with as much soft natural material as we can. Similarly, for the overall park, we're looking at uh, this, this slide kind of looks at the materiality of the various zones and elements. And what we'd really like to do is work with sort of a palette that balances the urban context of the park and ties into the surrounding neighborhoods while balancing with uh, introduction of more natural warm textural materials. And so the perimeter of the park is uh, you know, designed in tandem with the Transbay Redevelopment Area Streetscape Design Guidelines. So that'll really sort of create a nice tie-in to the urban neighborhood surrounding the park. And within the park, we'd really like to transition then into, again, those warmer, more natural materials, a lot of wood decking, wood seating, um, and uh, even sort of the protective uh, low fencing for the planting um, areas, we're, we're suggesting a wood uh, and cable type system. And so again, really just trying to balance the, the urban context of the park with more uh, kind of softer, more natural materials. And this concept also plays out in the pavings. So here you can see this very distinctive banding um, is part of the Transbay Redevelopment Area Streetscape Design Guidelines. So it really helps sort of enlarge and extend the feel of the park towards the surrounding context. But within the park, we're introducing warmer concrete tones, more texture through things like pervious concrete, custom aggregates in our concrete, um, as well as using accents of reclaimed stone materials such as the cobble edging uh, around 
around some of the planting areas to provide a nice natural edge there. And then, of course, finally, again, the wood decking that occurs throughout the site to create these really warm, um, but still functional and low maintenance spaces for people to gather. So, shifting gears a little bit from, you know, people focused spaces to then also understanding why we want to make space in this park for our fellow non human species. And so, you know, that's really a threefold conversation. First, we know climate change is here. We know we need to design a park that um, is going to be resilient in a changing environment, but also requires fewer resources, less water, et cetera. And we know we can accomplish that through the use of California native plants, which then in turn support biodiversity. And of course, supporting biodiversity is a very important citywide goal and statewide goal here in the state of California. And finally, we think this is important to do because connections to nature are really important to the health of our communities. And we also want to move away from this idea that nature is something out there that you go to visit and really start to invite nature back in and integrate it into the fabric of our urban communities. So knowing all of that, how do we maximize the value of this one acre site uh, from a habitat perspective? And again, this is a multifaceted discussion. First, we want to make sure that we're providing food and water for species all year round. We also want to make sure that our plant choices and our planting design um, supports all cycles of an animal's life. You know, we're feeding the caterpillars in addition to the butterflies, but we're also creating day-to-day -day shelter for birds from predators in the types of planting we use, as well as nesting habitat, space for insects to overwinter, et cetera. And then finally, understanding that this one acre site doesn't exist within a vacuum. It's part of a larger um, kind of citywide ecosystem ecosystem network, so we're really excited to learn what else is going on nearby and also what other efforts there are um, to create habitat in the neighborhood. Moving on to kind of what we call our key stakeholder fauna. Um, these are wildlife species that we hope to attract and support through the park design. Uh, the first row are species that we worked with the California Native Plant Society to feel confident that, you know, these species are going to be supported by our park. And then in addition to those, we looked at the citizen science program iNaturalist to understand what has already been cited within 1.5 miles of the, the park site. So understanding that these species are already here and that we may be able to increase that ecosystem network for them. Um, as part of our response to civic design uh, phase one, comment two, which was to refine our plant palette specific to uh, real habitats and also to work with local experts. We've been really fortunate to be able to have great conversations and learn from various local experts, including the California Native Plant Society, Rec Parks Natural Resource Program, local landscape architecture firm Field Collective, and their work um, kind of in uh, introducing California native species throughout San Francisco, and also with the chief nursery specialist and senior biologist from SFPUC. And so we learned some really great uh, lessons from um, our colleagues who are working on projects with them, as well as you know some of the details of how to sustainably source California native plants. And so we worked with these different groups on our plant palette, um, which we're really excited to uh, share next, starting with our tree palette. Um, you know, these are sort of the foundational elements of our planting design. And so if you look at the top three categories, our large canopy tree, our grove and small habitat tree are all California natives. Our large canopy tree is Quercus agrifolia, and this uh, occurs primarily around the main deck. It establishes a sort of oak woodland type environment there. Um, our groves, uh, these are the groves on the west side of the park around the stewardship building as well as the southeast corner. These are sort of urban open spaces uh, for people to sit under um, trees with flexible tables and chairs. They also accommodate gathering or 
community events. And so for that area, we're showing Platinus racemosa, um, which is our native sycamore. And then throughout the space uh, interior of the park, we're also introducing smaller habitat trees that again sort of flush out that year round habitat value. And then again, with the idea of uh, connecting to the larger neighborhood context, our streets, streetscape tree palette um, was developed with the Transbay Redevelopment Project Area uh, guidelines. And so while they're not native, we do know that trees, you know, all trees provide environmental benefits. And in this case, they also help connect the park to the larger identity of the neighborhood. Uh, looking at those more specific habitat planting zones, you know, I think previously we were really looking at what we were sort of calling the habitat meadow in the center, um, but now we're really expanding the habitat value to all planting areas of the park. We really think that this, you know, it just it makes sense and we can really sort of increase the value of this one acre site. And so in the center, that's what we're working to develop as a coastal scrub um, type plant palette. Our understory, which occurs more on the perimeter of the park and, uh, you know, again, under some of those larger trees is more representative of an oak woodland type environment. We do have a nature play area within the center. Um, and so there we're looking at California native species that will endure foot traffic and bounce back pretty well. And then also our sidewalk plantings, we're working, um, you know, to develop a low maintenance, but still high habitat value planting with Cianothus there. And so I'm gonna go very quickly into those specific plant pellets. Um, here is the coastal scrub. Again, this was what we're sort of referring to formally as the habitat meadow in the center. And the way that we're trying to show the, the kind of plant palette here is representing them by their main habitat value throughout the year, throughout the seasons, really, again, making sure that as much as possible, we want to have overlap and redundancy of food, shelter, and other sorts of habitat value um, throughout the year. So, for example, the Areogonum latifolium, also known as coast buckwheat, provides food for pollinators in the form of its flowers in summer and fall, and then also provides seeds for birds um, throughout the winter. Similarly, Artemisia californica, just the structure of this plant provides important cover and shelter all throughout the year. And then uh, our same with our understory plant palette, we're looking at really how does this plant support life throughout all seasons of the year? And something to net with the understory planting here is we've also got multiple levels and forms of plant um, growth, which supports habitat. So, for example, the Fragaria, the, the kind of strawberry at the tides, flowers and fruit. Um, it's also a lower growing kind of ground cover along with the clinopodium and the salvia spathaceae. But in addition to that, we've also got sort of larger shrubs that provide a medium level of habitat between the larger trees and the ground plane. So it's space for birds, um, you know, just kind of more cover and shelter within the park. And then also those plants um, will provide seasonal food as well. And um, Going through our nature exploration palette, we're keeping it pretty simple here, just given how much high traffic is going to be happening here. But again, looking at California native grasses, Achillea millifolium, which we know spreads rhizomatically, so we think that should be able to bounce back pretty well from getting trampled. And, um, you know, it kind of just can continue to pop up as needed. And again, our sidewalk plant palette, um, while this is outside of the park, we, we do want to include it in the habitat value. And so we're working with a low maintenance, but, um, you know, still providing habitat through the Cianothus plantings. And so with that, I'm going to hand it off to Iowana with our architecture group, and she's going to describe the progress we've made on the stewardship building. Thank you. Thanks, Lawrence. Thank you, commissioners. 
Um, so we're looking at an overall uh, view of the park with the building on the left side. Um, since our last CDR and informal reviews, um, some of the adjustments we've made was to simplify the building form and the massing to create a quiet, tranquil, beautifully detailed building within the park and to treat the roof as a fifth facade as it's viewed from above by neighbors. Next slide. Um, the stewardship building anchors the west side of the park along Beale Street, and it is nestled in a grove of trees. Um, next slide. Programmatically, this building consists of storage and maintenance areas for San Francisco Recreation and Parks with two entries. Storage for the community benefit district that opens up to the park and all gen an all-gender restroom adjacent to the playground. The roof has a trellis overhang all around with the largest overhang on the park side. Next slide. Transverse and longitudinal sections show how the CMU walls show the CMU walls over a mat slab with metal stud interior walls. The roof is flat with tapered insulation to the center, allowing the grouping of the drain and vent stack to have a minimal visual impact. You can also see the proportions of the trellis overhang on all sides of the building, with the largest overhang on the park side and the shortest on the street side. Next slide. In elevations, um, you can see how the materials of the linear stone cladding, wood grain, aluminum batten clad sliding doors, wood grain, powder coated aluminum trellis slats, steel fascia, stainless steel lettering, and translucent ch channel glazing come together. Next slide. The building's low slung form reinforces the street edge along Beale Street with park signage, while the material composition of tactile stone, glowing glass, and delicate wood-like slatting harmonize with its setting in the street edge mosque. Next. At night, the building acts as a glowing jewel within the park with an in-grade with in-grade linear wall washes around the perimeter, as well as low-profile LED strip lighting sitting atop the CMU walls. Um, we're still working on the park name with the community as well, with uh, which Kathleen can also um, talk about in detail um, if there are questions. Next slide. Three minutes remaining. Thank you, Paris. From within the park, you can see the doors to the community storage unit and restrooms in the open position, and we have incorporated a channel glass window that illuminates the laboratory area of the restroom. Next slide. This channel glass also provides a lantern-like feel at night. Here you can see the wall wash and strip lighting as it wraps around the building. Next slide. And we have since developed the roof using an aluminum wood grain decking material that matches the trellis to create a clean, harmonious look when looking from above. Next slide. Materials for the structure were to allow the structure to harmonize with the park during the day and glow at night. On the upper left, you can see flame basalt with a graffiti coating. Um, we're using a six inch high by 36 inch long random patterning for the stone cladding over the CMU walls, stainless steel lettering for the Beale side park name, translucent channel glazing to illuminate the laboratory as mentioned, 
and wood grain powder coating aluminum trellis slats with matching decking for the roof. Next slide. And uh, Lawrence. Um, yeah, and so we'd like to just finish with a couple of views. So this is a view from the main deck looking beyond the coastal dune scrub habitat, just that uh, large sort of signature pelican structure in the playground. Um, and here's another view from the northeast, uh, I'm sorry, northwest entrance of the park through that grove with the stewardship building at the right. And again, the, the kind of coastal scrub in the, um, the background there. And uh, this is our final slide, and we want to thank you for your time and your great feedback, and we look forward to hearing more comments. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful project. Commissioners, comments? Commissioner Shioda? Yeah, thank you so much, first, for your patience um, uh, hanging in with us. Uh, on the call and um, thank you for the um, for the native plants and the studies. Um, I just drove through the most of California through the desert side on the other side of the Sierras and I'm now in LA and I'm staying at a place where they just switched out from grass to a native garden. I have a native garden and I think that this conversation, you know, we live in a desert. California is a desert state and people forget that. And so this park is going to be really educational and very beautiful, um, but a great way to um, keep that conversation uh, present. And so hopefully, um, so I had two, two, two questions. Will there be some educational elements with this uh, landscape, um, the really thoughtful landscaping that you guys have uh, put in? And also, um, uh, will there be lighting? Um, for the evening times outside of the bathroom. Thank you. And thanks for all the work. Yes, so there's uh, lighting throughout the park. And um, I don't know if we have that night view shot, Lawrence. Um, I know it was on it. The design was a little bit different, but um, it might give them an idea of um, what we anticipate it looking like at night. Um, and to your other question is we do have in our budget, um, some budget for our signage. So, uh, what that is yet, we don't know, but we'll be, you know, working with, um. A signed consultant that would be a, you know, separate task, not the design team would coordinate with them, but it would be a separate consultant. Uh, yeah, sorry, Kathleen, I'm, I'm working on, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, we, we do have pedestrian scale lighting throughout the park. Um, so it will definitely uh, be well lit throughout the night. Um, thank you. Commissioner Schneer. Hi, thank you. Yeah, um, this looks great. Um, I love the uh, different things that you've uh, enhanced here. I think it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful addition to a very urban part of the city. Um, I like your thoughtfulness with the building, with the fact that a lot of people are looking down on it. So I give you credit for that. Um, is the uh, building itself going to be closed at night? Uh, the the washroom, uh, the the restroom and stuff. Is there a certain time where it's closed, or will it always be open? No, it'll be it'll be closed. It, like the park, you know, just like all of um, our city parks, they have a, a closing hour. Um, so, actually, um, 
we have Monica Scott uh, from Reckon Park with us, and um, I'm not sure of the exact time. Um, has that been discussed yet, Monica, with your team as far as what time you think the restroom would be closed? No, but typically they're closed around dusk. Uh, it can vary on the park site depending on the usage. Right, but there's no um, and and there's no security fencing around this park. It will be open for yeah. people to walk through at night. Correct? Yes, it will be. I think ostensibly we have posted hours, uh, which are as enforceable as they can be if you don't have a gated off park. So, and that's um, midnight to five a.m. That's our standard park opening hours. Okay, I was just asking the questions. All good. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Any other uh, commissioner comments or questions? Commissioner Carney. Yes, I think it's beautiful. Thank you very much. I think it's going to be a real asset to the city. I'm new to the commission, so I didn't see the previous presentation until the slide that you just showed. And in the packet over the weekend of the uh, stewardship building, the more amorphous shape before. I actually like that better, but it's, I'm too late for that conversation because I thought it related to the amorphous shaped garden areas. I thought the build the more amorphous building blended in with the gardens, but that ship too is late. Still... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, so. as uh, Commissioner Stryker could, yeah, the comment, that was there was a long um, design process with that. We met with the commissioners multiple times, um, and yeah, so. Uh -huh. well, well, what you've done, what you've done is lovely. I, I also like the comment about the overlap and redundancy. I hope that applies to to multicolors and all seasons of the year. The way you're drawing your beautiful drawings show the color in the garden areas. I hope your plant selections allow that a multitude of colors in every season. And I think they do based on your drawings. So congratulations. I think it's lovely. Thank you. Commissioner Liu. Thank you. Uh, first of all, congratulations. I think it's a fantastic project and uh, really love the design and also the thoughtfulness uh, into the project. Um, I, I particularly love the birds and it adds a lot of animation towards the space. I'm also curious, um, just uh, sort of out of curiosity, is there going to be any audio component uh, in, in building into the park? What do you mean by an audio component? Uh, like if there was uh, an event, you mean if we have speakers or? Yeah, in case if there's speakers or events, um, whether and, and sometimes ambiance of music, uh, is that also something I'm just curious being put into the, the actual design as well? No, I think that if Rec Park um, is asked uh, to reserve the part of the park where that we have the like larger flex space in front of the building. And um, if they wanted to have some music, then, you know, they would go through the normal process of asking for that uh, permit um, to play music, but we don't have music um, throughout the park at all. It's a, a neat idea, but no, we don't have, do you, <laughs> have a musical. Do you have, do you have electrical plug, you know, do you have uh, J boxes or something? Um, in those key areas, I think um, in the from the building, we will. Yeah. And, you know, there's basically a 1 side of the building is the rec park uh, maintenance. Uh, um, shed, and then there's another. 
area that is the um, community stewardship room. Um, so there will be um, outlets that they could tap into. Um, as far as other outlets in the park, we haven't really actually discussed if there would be other outlets other than, you know, from the building. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would be very curious if there might be some sort of music or audio component to be integrated with such a lovely park. Um, and and obviously, I'm also very looking forward to the night view of the park. I'm still waiting for the slides. So thank you so much. Yeah, there is, um, like Kathleen mentioned, um, we are anticipating there to be like part of that um, community storage area to be storing their AV equipment, including um, if there was a um, um, any visuals or sound coming from there. So we are planning for that with the electrical team. Fantastic. Thank you and congratulations for the, uh, for, for the whole presentation. Thank you. And then I'll, I'll wrap this up. Are there any other commissioner comments? Um, I just want to say, wow, this is fantastic. I love it. And I really love how you rose to the, um, the occasion of being very specific about the habitat for the creatures, um, the, being specific about the creatures for the habitat you're designing rather than being generic. I think it really enriches the design and makes it really special. One thing that's gonna be a challenge, and this might go into your signage possibly, is that the public will have to learn a little bit about messy landscapes. Mm. And there might be some calls about why aren't you weeding all the blah, 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 blah. Right. It looks kind of dead. Mm -hmm. And that's when the seeds are there so the birds can eat them or whatever. And so I think um, the question about signage is a good one. Educational signage that might help people understand that that's really part of the beautiful design is time and evolution of the plants themselves. So I encourage you to do that. Definitely. Um, um, and do we have any public comment? If you are already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on screen. You're currently on item three, Transbay Block 3 Park. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you are listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30-second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes.sfgov.org. Um, I see one hand raised. I'm going to go ahead and unmute you, caller. Can you hear us? Caller, uh, your line is Hi, unmuted. I'm Susan. I'm Susan Karasoff. I'm a San Francisco resident with the California Native Plant Society, and I enthusiastically support this lovely Trans Bay Block 3 design. The Transbay Block 3 design is responsive to the needs of a variety of stakeholders, including local residents, local workers, children, dogs, as well as local and migratory wildlife in your climate-resilient, low-water-use native plant design. 
Impressively, Transbay Block 3 creates a green corridor for biodiversity between the native plants on the Embarcadero and some of the native plants at Salesforce Park, meeting the goals of both the San Francisco Biodiversity Initiative and the California State Biodiversity Initiative. Native plants and native plant corridors, as provided by the Transbay Block 3, are best practices to enhance biodiversity, as shown in San Francisco Estuary Institute's Making Nature's City Report, which summarizes the key indicators supporting urban biodiversity. This report is available for free on San Francisco Estuary Institute's website, both in English and in Spanish. San Francisco Estuary Institute's key urban biodiversity success indicators are native vegetation, as used in Transbay Block 3, and connections in green corridors, as contributed to by Transbay Block 3, and taking care of special resources such as water, aquifers, reservoirs, large trees, and managing vegetation and soil, invasive plants, infrastructure, and land, um, and avoiding turf, avoiding, avoiding glass. Um, so this is a beautiful design, and it's just a wonderful example of how well this can be done. Um, thank you for, for your attention. My comments are complete. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? Um, I don't see any other hands raised. Um, give it one more minute. I don't see any more hands raised. Um, there is no more public comment for this item uh, and public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. Do I have a motion to approve phase two review of the Transbay Block 3 Park? So moved, Schneer. Do I have a second? Second, Shiota. Can we have a vote, please? Yes, uh, Commissioner Stryker? Yes. Commissioner Carney? Yes. Commissioner Liu? Yes. Commissioner Shiota? Yes. And Commissioner Schneer? Yes. Uh, the motion passes unanimously. Unanimously. Wonderful. Congratulations, team. And this may set a standard for future park design in, in the city. Nice Thank going. You. Gorgeous. Thank you Thank all. You. We'll have Thank a party you. in the park. <laughs> Send us an invitation. We'll bring our, our party calls. Okay. Uh, let's Great move on to item number four, which is conceptual review of the Ingleside Police Station replacement. And I'd like to make a note here that this is not an action item. This is a conceptual review, so we will be making comments, but there will be no vote. So, team, are you ready? Ready to go. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Onward. Um, I'm, my name is Matt Jasmine. I'm with the Public Works Bureau of Architecture, and pro I'm a project architect for the Ingleside replacement uh, station, uh, which includes rehabilitation of the historic building as well as two new buildings on site and other site improvements. And I'll be presenting the concept design today to you. Looking forward to your, your comments. Um, joining me are Nick Ansel, the landscape architect with the Bureau of Landscape Architecture, uh, Magdalena Rayor, the project manager, Lourdes Garcia, the senior architect with the Bureau of Architecture, Julia Lowey, the Bureau of Architecture manager, and Captain Dave Falzone, commanding officer with the San Francisco Police Department. Now, the site is located in the southern part of San Francisco, 
um, within the Balboa Park Mission Terrace neighborhoods along the 280 freeway. And there, um, it's a large uh, district that the station covers, including several, several supervisorial districts and a growing population. As a result, there's the plan for increased officers serving the district in the near future. Now, part of this growth is driven um, by development. Um, these are examples of some of that development. Balboa Park um, BART housing is currently topping out, as well as future projects at Sunnydale and the Schlage Lock site. Uh, the, bond, the, the project is funded by the Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond, or ESER bond, that funds seismic improvements to first responder facilities to allow for quick response after a major disaster. And Ingleside has been identified as having a high seismic risk. A part of our, our project is to expand um, the, our goals are to expand the facility to the meet the program needs, but also um, to really address the community needs um, and make it a community resource. In addition um, to rehabilitating the historic building will be, the project will be sustainable, um, durable, and it needs to be a safe and secure working environment for the staff. Now, historically, the site was entered from the west side that provided a direct view of the main facade of the historic building. But since the 280 freeway was built, um, access to the site is through um, San Jose Avenue along John V. Young Lane from the east. And this really provides a secondary um, view of the side of the building. Uh, John B. Young Lane is named after an officer who was actually killed at the site. Um, it's an important story because it underlies and underscores the importance of having a comprehensive security um, plan for the site moving forward. And the site sits on a, on a rise um, above neighboring San, San Jose Avenue and the community. And this rise allows for some views of um, the landscape um, beyond, including Claren Ridge, Mount Diablo in the distance and San Bruno Mountain. Now we do have some site challenges, including noise coming from the 280 freeway, BART, which runs uh, adjacent to our site and under it, under the historic building and daylights to the north of the property. Uh, the site's also pretty small. Um, with limited area for expansion and required parking. There is a, an open area that has some uh, unhealthy trees that we're looking at as part, a part of the area for our expansion. And then we have some security challenges as well. Uh, visibility onto the site from the surrounding areas, including City College across the freeway. Um, as well as a single point of entry for both police and the public, which um, is a security vulnerability. Now, from San Jose Avenue um, at the entrance to the park, you don't have a view of the station, but as you approach the station, you do have other views um, of the historic building and from other perspectives within the park and surrounding the park. Now, the historic building was built in the Mission Revival style um, in 1910. Uh, is designed by the acting city architect, Emil Deneuf, and it is eligible as a historic resource, both in California and nationally, and it's within the Balboa Park Historic District. So we have been working with a historic architect on better understanding the historic significance of the building. The most significant is the main building um, and the facade and the roof uh, form. 
of secondary importance are all the exterior facing um, facades or elevations. And then of less importance are the interior courtyard elevations. Um, we've also been looking at the character defining features that are represented in the images on the bottom of the page. Now, um, some of our uh, design approach really is about um, how do we create a unified campus and rehabilitate the historic building while adding these two new buildings. Um, we also want to really focus on creating a public facing community building um, with easy public access that retains campus security. And then we want to um, really, uh, I need to actually go back for a second here. Um, I wanted to talk more about the organization of this, this building. Um, so uh, the most important thing about this project is that the, the original building was a two-story um, office business building for the police um, with holding cells at the back. And then a U-shaped um, two-story building that acted as stables for um, horses that were used at that time with a hayloft above. Now this U-shaped building is around an interior courtyard that also served as a sally port. So that's important as we move through the, the presentation. Sorry for going back on you like that. Um, so um, that brings me to this third line on the approach, which is really connecting the uh, main building of uh, the historic building and the stables building so it can act as a single structure. Um, the expansion includes the new community room, additional offices and support spaces, and then um, increased locker and shower counts to account for that expanded staff that's that's going to be expected in the future. Now we started taking all of that and looking at massing uh, options for the site. Um, these represent three of them. Um, and I was really testing location for these community access points, um, that being the community room and also the public lobby where one would go to the police station to file a report or um, make a complaint. Um, and that's represented in pink. In yellow, we have the expanded program um, that's mostly on the open side of the site that I discussed earlier, um, as well as the infill of the historic courtyard that helps to link the front and the back building and also provides additional program space. And we ended up on option C, which orients the community room facing the park on the east side. Um, this allows for um, both um, a public facing community space, as well as a, sec a second entrance for the, the public that doesn't compromise the campus security. Now, the area listed as to be determined, that's an area that we're in discussions um, with the Recreation and Parks Department to expand a plaza into the park that would really help to integrate it into the, um, the park and provide a more, um, uh, more accessible point of entry for the whole site. Now, as far as um, security goes, we, we have been really thinking about this in two ways. One is the secure boundary and the other one is protected facades. So the secure boundary um, is represented in the, the plan on the left showing the with the red line going around it, which leaves the community pavilion um, outside, allowing for the public to access the community pavilion or building without going on to the rest of the more protected site. The second diagram shows protected exterior elevations, um, a real hardening of the building that's required because of the, there are so many views from around the site. 
Now, both of these um, really are well captured in the image of a geode um, that we're using as an inspiration. It's a protective shell with the real activated interior. Now we'll get into each of the buildings, starting with the historic building. Here, um, our attempt is to protect the historic significant facades and character defining features, really connect that main building with the staples, the U-shaped staples building behind. Um, and then there is some modification to the roofs um, only to provide additional headroom in the stables and additional daylight through skylights. And the rest of the intervention on the historic building is really kept inside the existing um, courtyard to keep the, the exterior elevations as intact as, as possible. Now, the organization of the building is um, captured here, the blue showing the intervention in the courtyard with circulation from the main building to the stables building. And then the envelope intervention showing that insertion into the courtyard with the modified roof shape and skylights. These are images um, rendering showing uh, protective uh, walkways from the main building to the stables around an open courtyard that's used for staff. And then some precedent images showing those um, covered walkways. These sections further um, reinforce that idea of the connection between the buildings and uh, the altered roof line in the stables. Now the community uh, pavilion is, as I said before, facing the, the public park and is located along the edge, the eastern edge of the, the site, which allows for both views into the landscape from the community building, but also views of the historic building and provides that separate or public um, accessible point of entry. And we did look at options for the um, community pavilion and settled on what we called extended, which is uh, essentially a low volume allowing the, the maximum view of the historic building. It's also set apart from the historic building, allowing for views between the new community building and the historic building. Now it's essentially um, a simple volume divided into one side being a transparent glass box, which allows for those views into the landscape, but also of the historic building. And then a more solid portion, um, the transparent being um, the space for the community meetings and the solid um, portion being uh, housing the support functions for the community building. And here you can see the separate entry for the public and the secure police entry. These are some precedent images showing that transparency and then the, the uh, companion solid piece and then views out into the landscape from the interior. And finally, the support building, which sits on that open area of the site, um, housing the majority of the expanded program, um, is really intended to be a, uh, a solid um, box with some protected openings. Um, and this, this essentially drove us to figure out another way to bring light into the building through skylights and an interior light well. There is a, a protected terrace on the third floor that's essentially a wellness terrace for uh, the staff that provides views to the south, but also breaks down the volume facing the historic building. And these are some- So you know you have three minutes remaining. Thank you. And these are some precedent images showing the exterior envelope and protected openings. 
Um, so all of this essentially we're trying to unify the campus through materials proportions and respecting the massing of the historic building. So the concrete um, of the historic building, the, the proportions of the windows are carried over through into the community building and the support building. Um, and our intention here, and I think we're we're um, we're studying out obviously through concept is to meet all the programmatic needs, uh, respect the importance of the historic building, and really, uh, most importantly, provide a public resource, a community resource that's simple, um, elegant, and thoughtful. And now I'll pass it over to Nick Ansel, who will cover the landscape design. Uh, thank you, everybody. Um, I'm, this, this landscape of this site is um, obviously really quite tight. And I'm just going to quickly go through some of the elements. So for the site design elements, um, fencing is a critical component, as Matt mentioned. Uh, there's going to be two types of fencing. On the west side facing the freeway, there's going to be a 15 high foot fence uh, with a fabric on it. Uh, everywhere else is going to be a 10 foot high non-climbable fence. Um, we're uh, working um, to find the, the right material for that, and we can show you some ideas later. Uh, for paving, um, there's three types of paving. There's asphalt, permeable paving, and uh, also unit paving. And then uh, the last one is just basically showing areas that are uh, available for planting. Um, there's some on grade, um, but there's also areas um, that are um, going to be um, flow through planters, quite narrow strips uh, throughout. Uh, next. Oops. Are you seeing that, Nick? Uh, yeah, now I am. Um, great. So the site plan, um, a, uh, again, very minimal uh, areas for planting. Um, we're going to have some uh, new trees. I think the main things I want to point out here are the palm, uh, the courtyard, uh, and the entryway between the pavilion building and the stable building. If we go to the next slide, Matt. Uh, this is uh, for the palm courtyard in the upper left. Uh, we're we're calling it a palm courtyard. We really think planted palms uh, in large pots would be appropriate here with seating, uh, so the police can use it. We also have a, uh, the area between the uh, pavilion uh, uh, community building and the stables building where there'll be some seating to be provided. Uh, basically, just uh, uh, very basic. And then on the south side of the building, uh, which we're calling a wellness area, uh, we're going to be providing a, a trellis, uh, outdoor kitchen, and seating, and a basketball uh, for active uh, use uh, for the police. And uh, there are sections and uh, other elements you can see uh, enlargements there. Uh, next, uh, some of the materials um, really straightforward here in terms of uh, seating. Uh, um, pots, uh, the outdoor trellis. Uh, for the fencing, I want to just point out really quickly in the in the third row in the middle uh, where the white perforated is. Well, we're looking at uh, using perforated metal panels uh, for the fencing. Uh, the perforation gives us a chance to uh, kind of meld both opacity or transparency depending on the need. Uh, the police department wants a lot of privacy. Um, historic preservation wants a lot of uh, opacity um, or, or, or vice versa. So we're, we're, we think that the um, perforated metal will give us a chance to um, control the opacity of, of how much you see through the fence. Um, and then um, lastly, um, some of the paving materials, which we're, we're still working on, mostly unit paving and uh, permeable unit pavers. Next. 
the plant material. Uh, we're just getting going on it. Um, it's going to be, uh, we call it hardly strictly California natives, mostly California natives, uh, but there's going to be um, also um, a lot of bioretention on the site. So we need uh, plants that can be inundated. Uh, so that makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, so we're, we're just at the beginning of developing a, a final palette. Next. And then as Matt mentioned, um, that uh, Western uh, or Eastern Plaza on the uh, facing Balboa Park, um, we're going to be meeting with the Recreation and Parks Department to um, start developing schemes for pedestrian entries. Um, this is really going to be the civic uh, face of the project and the civic entry uh, to the project. Um, and we have a lot of um, uh, other interests, including fire access and ADA access. Uh, they're going to make it um, challenging, um, but we think um, it's really a great opportunity to uh, connect the project uh, to the park and the greater community. Uh, and that's all for now. Thank you. Thank you. It looks like a, a challenging project for a small site to have all of these things. So you've done a good start on this. Um, commissioners, do you have comments? Commissioner Schneer. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, agree with you, <laughs> Commissioner Stryker. This is, wow, this is a really tricky site to figure out how to do what you need to do. I feel like you're between a rock and a hard place here with a lot of this. So um, I really give you a lot of credit for what you've come up with. <laughs> Nothing easy here at all. Um, I'm particularly intrigued with what you're doing with the community building where it almost becomes like a Mesian non-building, I think is what you're kind of going for, very clean and simple, not to detract from the historic building. Is that kind of what you're trying to do there? Yeah, I think we're really trying to respect the historic building and try to keep our intervention as kind of as much of a backdrop as possible. Um, there's also the concern about seeing the historic building um, with right. so limited a perspective from the east side. Right. Okay, so um, I encourage you to keep with that. I, I love that approach and that concept, and I encourage you to keep with that and don't detail it out too much. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Because I, I think you've come up with really, you know, the, the best solution that you can based on all the things you have to deal with. And I think it will be very inviting for people to come in as a community building and you've solved your issue of uh, you know, the police secure entry separately. So I give you a lot of credit for that. The additional buildings the, um, that you're going to do, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't quite understand how those relate with the others. Can you talk a bit about that? You're talking about the support building? Yes. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I'll just go to that really quickly here. Yeah, these are so tiny on the screen here. I'm like, <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I think um, our thought here is also as a backdrop, um, we're really trying to kind of keep this separate. So as to not compete with the historic building and really break down the volume as it faces the historic building. Um, so that's where the terrace came into play, really thinking about how to reduce the size of this wall. Um, but there's a you know sizable program that needs to fit on site, um, 
And without um, producing a new separate building that's quite large, um, then you're left with really making bigger modifications to the historic building, which we didn't want to do. So it really kind of drives us to kind of push it over to the side and really hopefully be respectful of the historic building in terms of, like I said, the uh, proportions that we can draw from the historic building, materiality, and then um, let it be sort of a backdrop. Okay, thank you. Um, I think you're on the right track there. Again, keep it simple, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds great. And I really applaud where you're at on this. Um, I look forward to uh, you going on with your next phases. Thank you. Thank you. Um, other comments from commissioners? Uh, Commissioner Carney? Yes, thank you very much for this presentation. Um, I agree with Commissioner Schneer that it, it, the new support building doesn't seem to unify with the rest of the complex. Um, I like what you've done a lot with the historic structures, with the main um, police station from 1910 and the stable. And what you've done in the courtyard, I think all of that is beautiful. I think that the, um, the uh, pavilion, you know, the entrance area, the glossy structure, it actually does um, work that way as a separate standalone entrance. And I love the addition of the plaza in front of it, you know, stealing land, as you could say, from the park. So that pavilion could be very modern and Miesian and stand out from the historic structure. But the support building seems a little bit jarring in a way, like it was like it was dropped on a college campus where at UC Berkeley, they have Evans Hall or something. And, you know, they have the historic buildings and then something from outer space landed. And it doesn't really relate. So um, your commentary, let me pull that up. It says linked by common exterior materials, including concrete, glass, and wood. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they relate, at least relate color-wise. Um, Somehow, I don't know if the three sides, I understand the security concerns, but the three sides, if they're just gray concrete, could they at least be um, a color that's similar to the historic buildings, maybe even masonry or something? I know, I don't know how that fits in with your budget, but they. Oh, no, I think you're right on. We've had these discussions internally about color. And I think that, um, you know, it was even about the renderings to tell you the truth. Um, because it is jarring, uh, we've got this sort of um, mustard-colored historic building. That's the current color of the building, um, and then we've got you know this kind of more drab gray um, for the other two buildings. So I think, um, yeah, color is part of it, definitely. Well, even the shapes. Um, yeah, I'm not saying put a sloped roof on it, but may I don't know that outline could maybe be softer if the third story could taper in or, or something. It it just seems like it's maybe. A library was built there or some other um, kind of commercial building. It mm -hmm. doesn't, it's, it's not a unified complex. Right. The entrance pavilion, especially if you carve out land from the park, definitely could be very modern and be on its own and glossy. But it's that support building that's just so jarring. I see the trees in your rendering. Maybe if they were twice as tall and twice as thick, that would help. <laughs> But it's not part of the complex. There's no, it's not a unified police concept, a police department concept. It could be something else. Um, 
the fence, the perforated metal. White would not work, I don't think, because it stands out. I put up fences before, and my biggest regret was a white fence at one point in my life. If it's darker, then you could see the historic structure. I walked around the side yesterday. It seemed like it's sort of utilitarian. That there were some policemen smoking back there, but I don't know why they need the privacy per se. Um, your rendering on page 39 that you just showed showed the vertical upright black fence, which which works out fine. Um, but the perforated would would as well if it was black, like on page 39. You can bring that up, um, but I don't think that it's that it's relating too much. Like I said, congratulations on the on the stables and the main building. I think they really all your interventions there really work, and they and there's no conflict with the historic nature. But it is a problem trying to shoehorn in all that square footage back in that corner of the site. My initial thought when I walked around the site was, oh my gosh, they're cutting down all these trees. Now, you said they're diseased, so that takes the sting out of it if they are um, diseased. But anyway, that's my main comment. It it's just lacks unity, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Any other commissioner comments? Um, I would say that I concur with the previous comments um, that the support building doesn't quite fit in. I was wondering if it, maybe it needed to be taller and thinner um, and step back a little bit um, as one way of addressing that with more landscape. I don't know what your height requirements are. The idea of masonry might work, um, but there needs to be some some dialogue. Color certainly could be one um, so that it feels like it's a part of a campus. Um, and then I love the plaza. I think that works. I really hope that you can work something out with Rec and Park to get that to work. It would be really nice for the community and also as a nice entry to the um, police campus. And I wanted to know if the captain is still on the line and if there's any comments from him about um, personnel needs, especially for the outdoor spaces. Are there any comments that the captain might like to, to make in this presentation? Okay. Um, captain on, what is the captain's name? Sorry, I'm just not sure. If it's the on. captain Falzone. I'm not sure if he's on or not. He's not, he's not I, see, I see him, I see him. Yeah. I think it's really nice to have You're the personnel actually captain. be able to comment. Mr. can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Outstanding. Uh, Commissioner, thank you very much for uh, asking me to speak. I really appreciate it. I was actually just texting one of the folks to ask how to speak. Um, let me first just say this because I found it so exciting. I really wanted to acknowledge uh, Commissioner Snare. What she said that I actually wrote down was it's very inviting. And I think that really speaks to our team hitting it out of the park. I will go back, Commissioner, to your exact questions, but I just wanted to speak to this design is a complete pivot from anything the police department's ever done. And I think what I wanna underscore, this whole project is community centric. That is something we've really never done before, but at the same time, woven into it, the needs of the department. 
And if you look at the design, to what we're proposing to you today, front and center is our community pavilion, which is directly linked. I don't think our drawings show it as well as it could, but the baseball diamonds right adjacent to us. And what we're looking at is an entirely new opportunity to partner with Reckham Park. And uh, it's very exciting. And to think that you, and I know you folks see diagrams all the time and drawings and you're all experts in your field, but to actually hear a commissioner say it looks inviting um, is just incredibly exciting to us because, you know, the police component of it, we deal with all day long. And I will speak for myself, the police departments talk for decades about quote unquote community policing. But what I wanna say is this project is community policing in action. This will be an actual community asset. So anyway, I don't wanna belabor that, but I just really wanted to touch on it. Um, so as far as um, the site development and departmental needs, this is one of our busiest districts. And what we're trying to do is develop signature sites that we can actually pivot to in the event of a critical incident where some of our sites may not be accessible. Um, right now, we have our new police headquarters that's relatively new out in Mission Bay. We just opened our new traffic company forensic science building that you folks were involved with this project. And then another project we're working on is our Egbert site. In the event of a major earthquake, those are the only sites we expect to be habitable the day after an earthquake. All of our other sites are, are not in great condition and are likely not, based on our data, going to be able to be accessed. So that's going to create challenges. So what we're trying to do is develop sites that can have multiple applications. Obviously, this is being designed for day-to-day -day needs, but with this capacity, it would be uncomfortable, but in theory, we could deploy more officers out of it. Those are my initial comments. Feel free to ask me any specific question. Sure, thank you. It's great to have your feedback and, and also your enthusiasm. Thank you. Um, any other comments by commissioners? Is there any public comment on this project proposal? Uh, if you are already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you are calling by phone, please press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on screen. We're currently on item four, Ingleside, police station replacement. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you're listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30 second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.code to sfgov.org. Um, I see one uh, person with their hand raised. Caller, uh, can you hear us? Uh, oh, they're gone. Um, I'm looking for other hands raised. Um, not seeing any. Oh, sorry. Let me refresh the list one more time. Um, 
Yeah, I don't see any hands raised. Um, there's no public comment for this item and public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. So we won't take a vote on this because it's a conceptual design, but the feedback um, overall is that nice job, looking great, great start. Um, there is some work to be done on the standalone building um, that is a support building uh, to try to find a way that it can dialogue with the existing complex and the new pavilion. Um, people like, I certainly do as well, like the glass box approach. I think that's really very elegant and also symbolic. Um, the landscape plan looks great. I noticed too when I went yesterday to take a look at the site that the trees seemed unhealthy. So um, adding more healthy trees, I think, will be really important to that part of the, the site. And the plaza is great. So we look forward to seeing you back with design one, uh, phase one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. You're welcome. So let's move on to item number five, which is the Japantown Peace Project. And before there is a presentation, I'm hoping that the team will also address that they are requesting a single phase review for a project that normally has three phases. And um, this project has a, a fine designer consultant, um, but I'm very curious and would like to know why there is only one phase proposed for this project. So team, are you ready to present? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay, dive in. Okay, can you um, put up the presentation? Awesome, thank you. Well, good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you so much. My name is Marion Koss. I'm a re I work for Rec and Park and I'm a project manager, and I'm here along with my colleague Jennifer Cooper from Public Works, who's the Landscape Architecture Bureau Manager, are both here to present the Japantown Peace Plaza renovation. And you are correct. We are seeking one phase review and um, uh, submittal, and so this is the first time you see it. Uh, we welcome any questions, and if needed be, we'll welcome, we'll, we will come back to respond to those questions. Um, this presentation is divided into four sections, site context, community outreach, and inter interface, um, existing conditions, and of course the future renovation itself. Uh, the project has been going on for quite a few years. 2018, we had our very first community um, meeting, and I just wanna say through the leadership of Japan Town Task Force, um, our executive director, Emily Morase, and her predecessor, Steve Nakajo. Um, key members, John Osaki, Richard Hashimoto, all of who partnered with the city to work tirelessly to bring, um, you know, the neighborhood together to inform, to give us feedback, and this is what you're going to see today. So there's been a lot of effort behind this. Um, not presenting at this time, but hopefully still available in public comment, is uh, our significant part of our talented team, right? And so we've got our cultural consultant, RHAA, in particular, Masahiro Inu 
Inoue, a Japanese architect trained in Japan who lives here in San Francisco and serves as a cultural voice um, for the community and an extension of J the Japantown Task Force. Uh, you know, just ensuring that all of the aspects of the design tie back to the Japanese sensibility, meaning, and culture. And then just briefly, the other folks that are part of our team is structural engineer who works with Public Works and the Department of Building Inspection, Vix Cardosa, waterproofing consultant, because this is a plaza over a garage, McGinnis Chen, and interpretive consultant, Macchiato, who is making sure that all of the stories that are important to the community are integrated in the design. Happy to answer more questions at the end of the project, but I'm going to pass the presentation on to Jennifer. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you. So, first, I'll give you a quick orientation to the site. As you can see here, the Peace Plaza is a central landmark in northern San Francisco. With Gary Boulevard to the south, Post Street to the north, and directly in line with Buchanan Street and Buchanan Street Mall. It's flanked on either side by the East and West Mall and underlain by a parking garage. And if you've been to Japantown, you already know that it's a special place filled with delicious cuisine, unique shopping, festivals, and important cultural landmarks. It's truly the heart and soul of one of the last few remaining Japantowns in the United States. And after World War II and redevelopment, it's the last vestige of Japanese culture in San Francisco and a critical cultural site. Here's a quick look at the history of the existing plaza. Here you can see the 1968 original design with fountains, a 1990s unbuilt design where the fountains were filled with planting, and then the, the um, current iteration, which was in 2000, which is much more open. And the communities commented that it doesn't provide the smaller scale spaces that they're looking for. Sorry, it's not moving for some reason. There we go. Okay, and now you can see the section uh, from north to south, from Post Street to Gary Boulevard. The plaza is at grade at Post Street. The connection between the East and West Malls is at grade here. Then you step down to the lower plaza, and then there's stairs and a ramp down to Gary Boulevard. And I showed this to emphasize that the entire project is on a rooftop over two levels of parking garage. So the team has painstakingly factored in all the weights of materials to meet these requirements. And here's a bit about the microclimate. The plaza is quite sunny and exposed with moderate winds, depending on the time of year. The pagoda creates some shade on the west side, especially during the winter months. And there's a noise to consider from Gary Boulevard. And the existing site has significant barriers and visual clutter along Post Street. There's multiple ramps, stairs, and guardrails. So one of our one of our main goals within the project was to create an open and welcoming experience on Post Street. And this is how the existing site looks on festival days and non-festival days. As you can see, it's wide open with very little refuge for seating. There are many existing cultural elements on the site. There's a stone monument located here that will remain in place. New cherry trees will be incorporated in the design. The Eternal Flame and Peace Pagoda are currently under development. Uh, existing boulders will be retained within the project. 
the calligraphy on the cultural wall will also be retained in addition to the existing flagpoles. And now to describe our community process. To inform the 2019 vision plan, the project team held three community meetings, 28 focus group meetings with committees and local organizations, two design charrettes. We participated in three community festivals, altogether 40 to 50 hours of community time, not to mention prep and follow-up. These are a snapshot of images capturing the excitement and interest during these meetings, which typically had over 100 participants. Most recently, on September 20th, the Japantown Task Force hosted a community briefing showing the design presented today and how it's evolved while still meeting the community's goals. These plans are posted digitally and in hard copy uh, posted within the mall to try to reach audiences beyond the digital domain. And the Japantown Task Force continues to capture all comments from the community. The community goals were, one, make Post Street visually open and inviting, Two, provide a large permanent stage. Three, make the Peace Plaza an inviting and playful space. Four, create an inviting visual expression along the Geary Boulevard edge. And five, incorporate significant cultural elements. And based on the feedback we got from the community, the design team created three options, the frame, the wave, and the loop, the wave being the community preferred plan. There we go. Now you can see how we took the wave and refined it by the end of the vision plan. And here's the proposed plan for today. You can see how it's just changed slightly as we uh, refine it through the design development process. Okay, now we'll get into the proposed renovation. Okay, the proposed renovation. Uh, some of the requests that came from the community were the welcoming entry on Post Street uh, to include more green in the plaza overall and to create more intimate seating opportunities. So on Post Street, we, we left a generous at-grade entrance with the center marked by the existing monument. And we flanked it on either side by large green planters with an undulating landscape and Akebono cherry trees. We carved in seating nooks have some scale to the site and left a small way to walk through the planters to give a more uh, intimate landscape experience. The connection between the East and West Mall remains clear and open and the Grove acts as a counterpoint to the Pagoda with tables and chairs underneath for casual seating. The lower plaza is focused on performance. So large festivals like the Cherry Blossom Festival will occur here. So we expanded the platform near the pagoda as additional performance space and added stepped wood seating back by bamboo on this side to provide additional seating for larger crowds. In the evenings, the lower plaza will be lit by a projection and coordinated with the pagoda, the pagoda lighting for an exciting nighttime experience. And in a large multi-level space like this, it was important for us to tie the design together through common design language and materials. You can see the large red arc here connects the upper and lower plazas with a family of wooden furnishings. You'll see this curved wooden vocabulary throughout the project. And here is the view from Post Street. You can see the highly vegetated entry with planters, cherries, and seating areas. 
the grove by the pagoda, the wooden seating area, and the portal to Gary Boulevard in the distance. Here's a more zoomed in uh, view, ground level view of your entry on Post Street. Here you can see the path through the vegetated planter, the small seating nooks. This is a view from the other seating nook on the west side of the plaza. Here you can see the transition from the upper plaza to the lower plaza with the stepped wooden seating and bamboo. As you zoom in a little, you can see how we use the salvage boulders and integrated them into the decking. Here's a view also from the lower plaza, but looking back towards Post Street. We imagine this would be a popular spot to grab lunch in the mall and just have, have a chat with your friends. This is the Gary Boulevard entrance. You can see we've retained the flagpoles here, as well as the calligraphy and the Japantown Peace Plaza sign, and it's flanked by bamboo on either side. Here you can see what the plaza looks like on a festival day. Uh, we spent a lot of time making sure we understood the needs for the stage, for tents, for seating. And then this is what it looks like on a non-festival day. There's a lot more opportunity for seating uh, throughout the day. And this is what it might look like during a festival. And now we'll get into materials. We'll be using porcelain papers, which are thinner, lighter, and stronger since we're on a rooftop. And Masahiro, the culture cultural consultant that we've been working with, brought to our attention the traditional concept of kasumi, which means fog or mist, and it's traditional in Japanese paintings and textiles. So we'll use this as our inspiration to create a subtly textured surface tying the upper and lower plazas together. For seating, you could see the family of wood furnishings we have in mind, including the step seating, integrated wood benches in the planter, a sculptural origami-based seating in the nooks, and movable tables and chairs within the grove. For planting, we'll have bamboo, Japanese maple, Akibono cherry trees, and a mounded landscape along the post street edge, which will be a mix of sedum, ground covers, and small shrubs. Getting more into the planting palette, uh, these are the trees and bamboo that I mentioned. Uh, but when we met with the community most recently, they mentioned that they really wanted to have more color uh, throughout the season. And so we added more um, Satsuki hybrid azaleas and California iris and liriope. And iris are popular in traditional Japanese gardening, but they do need a lot of water. And so we're trying to translate the, the Japanese aesthetic for Japanese gardens into the California planting palette and climate. Here you can see the seasonal bloom schedule. So it starts with the cherries in the spring, moves to azaleas and irises, then to Liriope, and then you get some fall color with the cherries and maples. Just so you know, you have uh, three minutes remaining. Okay. And last but not least, the lighting for the pagoda will be upgraded and coordinated with the lighting in the lower plaza. There'll be step lights and up lights for the vegetation. And the primary pole light is a simple, clean design from landscape forms intended to not compete with the other site elements. And with that, I'll hand it back to Marion for next steps. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, so I just wanted to give you the last slide here that addresses where 
more information can be found about the project as we move forward. I'd also like to point out that at, on our website, as well as the peaceplaza.org website, there is um, a video that takes you through the entire process and the community process. And I, I always find that that's a really great one. Um, but it does take you to the, the end of the vision plan from which we further developed in this presentation. Um, and then just the stats. Schedule starting construction early 2024, um, opening in the fall of the following year. And the budget is $3.3 million, a combination of bond funding, state and, and federal funding as well. And then just the immediate next steps, of which some we've already creeped along since the submission, but um, finalize those cultural features. In particular, the Peace Pagoda is with the planning department and our preservation planners, and we are we have some information in the in the appendix if we wanted to you know give you that information as well. And then the eternal flame um, that is going to be reinterpreted, um, not using uh, an open flame, even if it's an enclosed area, but we are going to reinterpret it uh, through light. And that is still being developed and will be finalized in the next, you know, in the next few months. And with that, I think we have concluded the presentation and we are available for questions in addition to, um, oh, Commissioner Stryker, I want to say thank you very much. I heard that you've allowed to have public comment um, before your comments. And I really, I really thank you for that because there's a slew of people that I've been texting back and forth about having to go on to um, some evening meetings. So, um, and with that, uh, we conclude our presentation. Thank you. And we have public comment uh, ahead of commissioner comments so that these um, public speakers can be able to leave the meeting. Yes. Okay. Um, if you are already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. As a reminder, your time will start when we begin speaking. We're currently on item five, Japantown Peace Plaza project. You'll see a visual timer if you're listening in via WebEx. Oops, there's my timer. And we'll be given a 30 second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay in the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments included in the minutes, if it is 150 words or less, to paris.coats.sfgov.org. Um, and I see many people with their hands raised. I'll just go in order. Um, Lori, your line is unmuted. Can you hear us? Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Lori Yamauchi. I am the Vice President of the Board of Directors for the Japantown Task Force and Chair of the Ad Hoc Japan Center Mall's Technical Committee. Before the World War II, there were over 80 Japanese and Japanese American communities across the country. Today, San Francisco Japantown is just one of three remaining Japantowns in the country. Government policies have uh, led to the destruction of Japanese American communities, including the wartime incarceration and redevelopment. In both cases, Japanese American families and businesses were forcibly removed and displaced. Um, as a result, Japantown serves as the, as the cultural 
uh, heart and hub for the diaspora of the Japanese and Japanese American community in the Bay Area. The Peace Plaza is literally and physically the heart of Japantown, which is why uh, where many community events are held. Um, that is why the Peace Plaza renovation project is so important to the community. Really appreciate uh, the city's cooperation and working with uh, the community in developing the Peace Plaza vision plan uh, in 2019 after a comprehensive community engagement process. The design team has worked vigorously to honor that vision plan and its five pillars that were discussed. Um, on September 20th, the, the Japantown Task Force hosted a community briefing that was referenced in uh, the presentation that was attended by over 80 people. Uh, we received dozens of comments. So we, uh, we ask that you support this Peace Plaza renovation design and allow it to move forward in the process. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Thank you. Um, next, I will. This person, caller uh, on the phone. I can't see your name. Can you hear us? Oh, no. You should be. Okay. I requested to unmute you. Um, someone on the phone. Um, it's not letting me. Um, I'll move uh, on. Can you hear me uh, now? Yes, thank you. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Stryker, Commissioners. My name is Dr. Emily Murase, Executive Director of the Japantown Task Force, which is dedicated to the preservation and promotion of San Francisco Japantown. I am also a board member of the San Francisco chapter of the Japanese American Citizens League and the San Francisco Osaka Sister City Association a former member of the Japanese Bilingual Bicultural Program at Rosa Parks Elementary School, and the founder of Japantena, a new Japantown storefront that showcases arts and crafts from regional Japan. But today I'm speaking on behalf of the Japantown Task Force to urge your support uh, of the Japantown Peace Plaza project single phase. Uh, on the September 20th, on September 20th, the task force hosted a community briefing and uh, of the 80 who attended, it was really a very, very broad cross-section of the community. For example, the president of the Japanese American Religious Federation, representing over a dozen churches, uh, the general manager of the Kabuki Hotel, uh, representative of a traditional Japanese dance troupe. Uh, we received dozens of comments uh, that the design team have noted, and we conducted a real-time poll on some of the design elements. We also opened a Google form for continued feedback and comments beyond the September 20th meeting. And uh, right now there are renderings, uh, thanks to Marion and Susie on my staff, that are on public display in the Japan Center malls. I also wanted to share the very extensive community outreach we conducted for the community briefing. I had staff members visit 113 merchants, churches, schools, and social service agencies in and around Japantown to hand deliver notices about the community briefing. And we posted 100 signs on bulletin boards and light posts throughout Japantown. Uh, given all of this um, and the feedback we received at the community briefing, I'm confident we're on the right track 
for the Peace Plaza renovation and ask for your vote of support today. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Next speaker. Uh, John, can you hear us? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, my name is John Osaki. I'm one of the co-chairs of the Peace Plaza Committee. Uh, I have also run a nonprofit in Japantown for over 26 years um, and been born and raised in San Francisco, lived here my entire life. Uh, what I really want to emphasize with my comments today are is what the Peace Plaza means to this community. Um, as some of you may know, um, our community once lived on that space. Our community once had businesses on that space. And the city of San Francisco during the redevelopment area forcibly evicted our community um, in favor of uh, <clears throat> the urban renewal movement at the time. And the result was, and frankly, people at the time knew that our community was never able to return. Um, and we were never able to reestablish a residential base of our community in that area. And so that's why the Peace Plaza has become so critical as the means to bring our community back, give them reasons to visit the area, to frequent the area, to maintain it as a vibrant uh, community, because the efforts that led to the removal of our community really um, changed our community forever. Um, we lost generational wealth during that entire process, and that was really um, at the hands of the city of San Francisco. Um, so today, this space is far more than just our only open space in this community. Myself, many others have been dedicated to this process because it is so critical that we have a space that is not only a place for us to gather, but represents the true character um, and wishes of this community. When this space was built in the late 1960s, it was based upon what the city wanted to build. When the when it was renovated um, once over 20 years ago, it was again based upon the preferences of the city. This is the first time our community has been integrate, you know, intimately involved in the design and every aspect of what this space can be for this community. And I urge you all to help us move this along. We have waited decades to have a space that truly represents what this community wants. Um, and I am here today to ask you to help us move this along as quickly as we can, because we have waited long enough to have a Peace Plaza that um, every facet of our community can enjoy, can come back to visit, and can really help us uh, maintain our community as a vibrant community for generations to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Karen, uh, your line has been unmuted. Can you hear us? Yes. Oh, Karen. Sorry, that was me. Karen, Karen that, that was you, Paris. Like, oh. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, thank you. My name is Karen Kai, and I have been working with Linda Mihara to develop a sculptural approach for two currently unrepresented character defining elements of the Peace Plaza, water and the Peace Flame. 
Linda is the proprietor of Paper Tree in Japantown, an internationally recognized origami artist, and her, her family has been engaged in the community since its earliest days. We are both deeply engaged in the community's civic and cultural lives. Upon learning in August that the water element was being removed and with it, the floor lighting that was to represent the peace flame, Linda and I were concerned that two very important features will again be given short shrift. We have only heard vague indications that the design team is looking into doing something with lights to represent both water and the peace flame. We got our heads together and we have proposed a sculpture utilizing the motif of the origami peace crane that originated with the story of atomic bomb survivor Sadako Sasaki. A lantern-like sculpture comprised of origami cranes will contain a light, not an open flame of peace, whose base will incorporate themes of water and reflection. We have suggested that the sculpture replace the maple tree nearest the Peace Pagoda on the easternmost line of trees depicted in the drawing on page 21 of the handout. Linda and I have committed to a public process and independent fundraising for our proposed artwork. We have, it, we have actively sought to work cooperatively with the design team in order to have the work integrated into their proposed design and to meet all necessary structural specification. I'm very surprised to hear that we are looking at a single phase of review here. We were told that there would be more review. We were told that this was a community process. Our last check-in, that briefing, was supposed to be a town hall. And there are these unresolved character-defining features. I hope that this plan will come back and that there will be room for pieces like the one that Linda and I are proposing that are culturally authentic and based in the experience of the Japanese American community, not just Japanese aesthetics. This is very important. Both Japanese and Japanese American consciousness needs to be represented and needs to be part of what that plaza becomes. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, Masahiro, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Yes. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Masahiro uh, Inoue. Um, I am the uh, casual design advisor for Peace Plaza project. And, you know, Marianne uh, introduced me a little bit. And I was born and raised in Japan. I went to architecture school and got master's in landscape architecture in Japan, worked in Tokyo before uh, I moved to California and I have lived in San Francisco over more than 15 years. And uh, yeah, so I do understand both uh, Japanese culture, Japanese American culture. And uh, so uh, we were we were hired as uh, design advisor, as well as liaison between the committee and the city since 
So we go higher to 2018. So since then, we yeah, collectively uh, really closely working as a team. And uh, yeah, I I want to state that um, yeah, we fully support um, this project. And uh, also, yeah, sorry, I also should have said, so now I transitioned to ACOM, but I appreciate the project team and RHAA. I'm continuing this um, role and working through uh, RHA. So my uh, position is not going to change and continue supporting the design team. And I'm, I'm happy to answer questions as well today. So I'm, I'm staying here. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, Michael, can you hear us? Hello? Michael? Michael DeGregorio, your line's been unmuted. Um, we will come back to you. Uh, Rich Hashimoto, your line's been unmuted. Hashimoto, um, I'm one of the I'm with the other co-chair of the uh, Japantown Peace Plaza uh, Committee uh, for the, uh, the Japantown Task Force. Um, I've been in this community for a very long time, and I've gone through two previous renovations, and uh, the two renovations had no community input whatsoever. You know, there was no process, no inclusion, and then what little input that we did convey to the city, um, it was ignored, it was just simply ignored. So uh, what you see today does not represent our community or um, our culture. Uh, we're very upset at it. Uh, it's not functional. Uh, the design is insensitive. And quite frankly, it's an insult to our community. Uh, when the current concept design plan was proposed, we were all very happy to hear that the design would be a community driven project and that would be engaged with the recreation park department and public works every step of the way. The design before you today is a culmination of several meetings and town hall discussions. Despite the structural load limitations, uh, we're all pleased with the plan. Uh, and ask for your full support in approving the proposed plan. You know, I'm also the corporate manager of the Japantown garage that sits underneath the plaza, which has been plagued for years of uh, water leakage into the garage. And I'm really overjoyed to hear that the waterproofing will be properly addressed and we'll finally have a leak free garage after all these years. So thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, let's try Michael again. Michael, your line has been unmuted. Can you hear us? Ooh. Hello? Michael, we can't hear you. Um, 
So you might need to check your microphone. Uh, okay, moving on. Um, Susie, your line has been unmuted. Good afternoon, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Hello, Hello commissioners. Thank you so much for your service today. Um, we really appreciate all the work that you do um, to keep our city beautiful and safe. Um, my name is Susie Kagami. I'm the manager of the Japantown Cultural District. Um, I've worked and volunteered in Japantown for over 12 years with many of the nonprofits in our community. And every day I'm so thankful to work with our community and city agencies to safeguard our cultural assets and the narratives of our Japanese and Japanese communities and people past, present, and future. And as a parent, I have the privilege of raising my son in this cultural community. So I'm very thankful every day. It's so important to me to instill pride and ownership in his heritage and the future of this district. Uh, the Peace Plaza to me is our gathering place. It's where our children play, where we meet up with friends. It's where the sound of our taiko drums and local musicians bring joy to our community. It's the main stage to our festivals. It's where our friends get married. It's where our community speaks out in protest. The Peace Plaza has deep history for us and Japantown holds memory of trauma of displacement through redevelopment and World War II incarceration. And yet through the perseverance of our people, the Peace Plaza and that pagoda have become the recognizable icon for San Francisco Japantown and the resilience of our community. As you've heard, multiple town hall meetings have taken place, Peace Plaza committees um, over the last three or four years. They've all informed this design with community input. And so we are very excited to see groundbreaking soon and really support the single phase um, process of approval so that we can really get moving on this and really bring this design to um, fruition. We've been waiting a really long time. Um, the design is beautiful, thoughtful, and will bring pride to our heritage and ownership to all of us in Japantown who visit, walk through it uh, every day, including my son and his, his generation. I want to thank Marion Koss and Jen Cooper and the entire city design team for their continued efforts to be sure our community is heard. And I thank our team, our community, our volunteers, consultants, and staff who have gotten us this far. So I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much. Um, we look forward to groundbreaking soon, and uh, I hope that you uh, support this uh, single phase of the Peace Plaza renovation project. Thank you. Thank you. Is Michael available now? Yeah, let me, Michael, we're gonna try you again. Okay. Michael? We can't hear you still. Um, I'm not sure um, what can be done. And it looks like Michael left. Um, yeah, it looks like he dropped off. So, thank you to everyone for your comments. Um, it tells us how important this site is, uh, both for its history and its future, how involved the community is in this. And um, that's important to know. Um, before I go to ask for commissioner comments, 
I'd like to ask a question of the project manager. Um, normally, when we see projects, we see them in three phases, unless they're very, very small. And it's my understanding that two years ago, uh, the Arts Commission CDR staff was approached with a project for waterproofing and no comment about design whatsoever. And yet for the past, it looks like eight, six years, there's been a design process going on with the community and engaged a very reputable landscape architect who, as we can see in the drawings, has done a nice job. Um, what happened? Other projects see three phases. What happened? Please let us understand that. Um, thank you, Commissioner Stryker. So I took on this project uh, as a second project manager. I'm sorry that Mike couldn't speak because he has a lot more history. Um, but I was given um, kind of an exchange that our department had with uh, the Arts Commission about possibly moving some projects into single phase rather than the three phase. Um, and this is the direction that I understood was the, this project was going. That's how I proceeded. Um, I can, yeah, that's all I can say. And I understand that with single phase projects, they tend to be a little bit simpler and contained, but at the same time, this is my experience, my first experience with the single phase. So I'm happy to have, you know, a further conversation about this and maybe delve into more of the conversations that happened before um, that I wasn't necessarily part of, but I'm happy to bring that to, you know, to you at a later date. And also to rectify it if there's something that, you know, we need to do a little differently. But I know that yes. we're trying different, you know, different ways of achieving approvals for different projects. Yes, I think it's very important that you know our guidelines and our processes. Other projects that come before us that have this extent come through a three-phase process. And that gives us the ability to hear from the designers to give input and have a discussion about the process, to hear input from the community through you and otherwise. And that's a very important part of the project processes. So one phase is it doesn't allow much inter <laughs> interaction with the design team or the community. Small things like a bench, a plaque, those things get a one phase review. This is quite a bit more extensive, both to the community, and this is, as they have said themselves, very critical to their history and future. Mm -hmm. Very important to our city and to this particular community, and we wanna make sure that they're heard, we hear them. There's a process. And absolutely, and therefore I'm here to present based on, you know, the exchanges and the direction that I have that I've received for this project. But at the same time, if there's some way to, um, you know, move forward and fulfill the requirements, then I'm more than happy uh, to take it on. Since the yeah, beginning yeah. of this project, there's been so many, you know, like interesting um, constraints within the actual project itself that we've had to shift gears. and. You'll find that our entire team is very nimble and willing to, you know, assist in any kind of clarification that's needed further. Okay, thank you for that. Um, it's too late to do phase one and two. 
you're asking for a compilation that includes construction drawings, which we don't see. Um, so let, let me move on. Um, commissioners, do you have comments about the project? I'm looking, strolling through here. Uh, yes, Commissioner Shioda. Hi, uh, this is Janine Shioda, and um, as Japanese American, born and raised San Francisco, um, I really appreciate all the work you've put into it, the community engagement. It is very important. Um, I'm going to say, as a third generation, I'm uh, I grew up without a huge sense of my culture, and I was American, and I was of the mind that we were Americans were going forward. And um, I didn't know a lot of my family history or Japanese history, but as people, uh, other people um, earlier today heard, I just drove through the desert of California on the backsides of the Sierras and one of my stops was Manzanar. And so, you know, this is a place that Japanese Americans were interned and um, it was it was really something I know, but um, place matters, uh, gathering community spots matter, um, community representation and cultural narratives and celebration and pride matters. So all the work you've done on uh, to to achieve this in this place um, in in you know, one of three in the nation that are left is so important. So I really, really, really appreciate it. I hope that um, it sounds like you've done a lot of uh, outreach um, to the, you know, to the businesses, to the people that live in the neighborhood, to the people, uh, the user groups, um, to the festivals uh, that are there. Um, I, I um, so I really just want to say from a, uh, a citizen standpoint from a Japanese American standpoint um, and from my age group like I, I need I needed the education I needed to stop in Manzanar my grandparents didn't talk about it um, the you know these celebrations the cherry blossom festival though it's a million miles from Tokyo matters for the cultural education of the younger generation so all those things total believer in the project love 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 it love that the people that will use it had a voice in making it um, in terms of addressing the um, concern that the artwork hasn't been picked yet um, that to me is a different phase of the project so you know looking at the architectural versus the artistic uh, the art placement or art projects Though if they're heavy, they need structural consideration. Um, you know, separating those two things. Um, I understand uh, Chair Stryker's concern about the phases, um, because you know, in design development, and then in the third phase, we'd be seeing construction documents. So I don't know, you know, if you guys have gotten that far in terms of um, drawing sets and. Um, uh, materiality. Um, so I guess I I would ask that, uh, and I I understand that the community has been waiting. I understand that you want to um, move forward, uh, get a green light. I I think 
I'm not sure even with our bylaws that we can do that. So I, I would leave it to Chair Stryker. I'd take her. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm of the mind. It's very important. Um, I understand the need for expediting along, but I don't, you know, again, without like, this is almost like a conceptual, I mean, you've obviously done lots and lots of work. So I just don't know where you guys are in your design phase and what, what, what chair striker would need within CDR to, to, to get it moving. Thank you so much. Can you address those questions? Are you able to address yes. those questions? Thank you. Yes, I certainly can. And so being that this was a one phase review, we wanted to bring it to you with enough, um, I wanna say enough understanding of, uh, about what our constraints are and the limitations are. And at the same time, the, um, the cultural significance that are infused in different parts of the design, but not so far ahead that we would have we would have the inability to you know shape some of the things, and so therefore we are now in um, in the DD phase, the design development phase. Our drawing sixty percent is due in I want to say in about a month, and it's interesting because we've had to go into the details to come back and do the larger picture. And so there's been um, a real conversation between our team and among all of the uh, consultants, which are really, really significant for this project, to be able to give us those detailed information to be able to get the grander picture. And so, um, so I hope that answers that we're at, at right now, we're at what we call design development, 60% is expected in about a month. And um, we have some things that are detailed a lot more than that, and other things that are still waiting for some information to get you know, further detail. So, and I can get into the details if you'd like to let you know what they are. Uh, but we, well, we may need minutes. to, but I, that's, I think, um, Commissioner Shiota, does that satisfy your question? It helps me understand a little bit more about where they are. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, you know, because if they already had a CD set that maybe we could review or, you know, or you could review. Um, okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Um, and Commissioner Carney, you have a comment or comments? Yes, I have a few comments. It thank does you. sound like the project will be reviewed again, that we cannot do it in a, a single phase. Is that correct? Um, we can make the decision to break it into several phases if we choose. Okay. Um, I did have a couple of comments, you know, whether it goes to another phase or not, since you're approaching 50%, I'd like to give you some feedback. Um, regarding the porcelain tile, I do think that the design, this sort of fog um, motif is lovely. Um, I live near the Peace Plaza and go through it all the time. In fact, I was through it twice yesterday. And the tile is so broken up, especially at the expansion joints, even in areas unrelated to the expansion joints. So the porcelain you say is stronger. Um, you'll, anyway, I'm a little wary of that. Hopefully it will be stronger. The design is beautiful, but lots of beautiful things in this city don't stay beautiful. And I would hate to see it crumble. 
So if you could look at that a little bit more, we don't want any crumbling tile because it is a lovely design. Um, and especially with all the skateboarders I saw there. And then the uh, regarding the Geary entrance, you mentioned um, you know, making a stronger entrance from Geary. That's one of your five pillars is the is the Geary entrance. To me, the strongest Geary feature is that Peace Tower itself. And I couldn't really tell from the drawings if you had much lighting, but it does look like lighting is going to be there. And to me, that's really one of the fundamental important pieces of this. John Osaki, one of the co-chairs, mentioned um, emphasizing the Peace Plaza, you know, to the larger community. And to me, that's that's your ticket, is that Peace Tower. It's the Koit Tower of Japantown. So why isn't it fully illuminated? Being one of the neighbors in a high-rise building, you know, I look at it from almost every room. And the roof needs to be part of your lighting plan. You need to, when you're coming down Geary or looking at it from other parts of the city, even from the Castro or, um, Alamo Square area, the lighting of the lower part itself isn't enough. You need to light the roof. And I think there's a way to do that. I think that that should be an increased part of your budget is making that the superstar of the Peace Plaza day and night. Um, I love the boulders and the way it integrates with the wood. I think the seating area is really lovely. The, the wood, the way it comes up, and then there's a boulder next to you that you can lean on, or that's really lovely. And the comments from Karen Kai about the watermelon water element. I looked at the drawings from 1960s, you know, with the water, you had the water coming off post and you had the water around the Peace Plaza. Probably it was lovely when they designed it in Yamasaki's office and probably they got rid of it because of maybe the wind and all the de debris, et cetera, and maybe because of the waterproofing issues with the garage. I'm not sure why the water is gone, but in one of the opening comments, they mentioned the features of Japanese culture and mentioned water. And when Karen High mentioned that and that they might have a funding source and they had a design to wrap the or independent funding for the artwork with the flame and the water. Um, I'm not sure if the community process voted and eliminated that, in which case we probably shouldn't be hearing it if it's already been decided. But if it is still up in the air, I would like to hear how water would be incorporated. But otherwise, as a neighbor of this project, I'm all for it. I think you've all done a wonderful job. I just want to make sure that the community process um, includes everybody's input. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can you address the water question that was just asked? I certainly can, and I can actually address all of them <laughs> if you'd like. Thanks. Great. Um, well, I just wanted to say there's slate tiles there right now, and it's a nightmare for everyone, for maintenance, for the folks that are actually getting in and out of the plaza to deliver, for all of us. And so therefore, right now, the, the tiles that are there are brittle. And um, anyway, so that's that's why we're looking at porcelain, which will meet our accessibility standards and as well meet um, you know, the, the strength and the durability and the easy to replace and all that. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, in terms of the lighting, you read our mind. Uh, we didn't have an image for the, the night lighting, um, but but it does, uh, and you mentioned Coit Tower, so we've been working with our own um, uh, maintenance group 
to make sure that the system that is in Coit Tower will also be the same system that we have for the Japantown, um, the Peace Pagoda. And therefore, we'll have lighting throughout the pagoda that can be controlled remotely as well. So that's something that is um, is a significant feature that's you know being um, clearly articulated and developed. I must and, say that. And please it, remind them the roofs are part of that. Yes, yes. It won't and, be fully lit without the roofs being lit. So, so the other little component that we have is the pagoda is a significant building, right? Or significant feature. Uh, Element to say it. Yes, and I've been, we've been working very, um, directly with the preservation planners, um, for quite a long time, actually, as long as the pagoda, as long as we've been working on the plaza to identify the, uh, seismic requirements of the pagoda in addition to how we would actually, um, you know, intervene. And so, uh, that's where we are and the light is part of that and how that gets attached. So, anyway, so that's that's all that I can offer for that right now. I want to say that we're at the very tail end of getting an approval for the um, structural intervention, and um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are with that. I'm excited about it because I have a passion for historic structures, so I'm excited to you know work on that. Um, you mentioned the boulders, and the boulders is. Um, a significant feature that's a, cult a cultural significance to not only the community, but Japanese culture. So we do have those integrated and we're actually planning to use the ones that are there and locate them in the different directions. This is where Masahiro has been helping us determine where they should go, or where they, they work best. Um, and then the water element. So the water element was one of the, uh, features that was wanted in the community because water is a very important element. However, we've been having, and uh, Sheriff Stryker, you mentioned the whole waterproofing project, which is an important component to this. Putting a water, a body of water on a structure that right now has weight limitations, in addition to has been has had problems with waterproofing, would only exacerbate the problem. And so therefore, this is one of the conversations that we had with the community and with Japantown, you know, task force and Masahiro that how can we celebrate water without actually having water because of the impact to the structure. And throughout the last, I want to say half year, we've been looking at different ways of doing that and uh, have settled on that. There's probably lighting that can give us, you know, the, the. The reflective maybe quality or the, the mutable quality of, of water, um, especially since our whole theme is fog, you know, not only San Francisco, but Kasumi, which is, I've learned so much from us um, that, you know, that those are integrated together. And, um, and then just because it's going to come up, you know, with the eternal flame, the eternal flame right now, we haven't had an opportunity to bring a, a, a series of solutions to the community. And I so appreciate, you know, like one community member, like leading the effort. Um, but it's one of those things that it has to be a, a bit more integrated and, um, and working with our. Um, interpretive, you know, consultant, see how all of the stories were celebrated within there. So. And I think that's, did I answer all the questions? And did I miss anything, either Moss or Jennifer? <laughs>
Okay, I think we're all good. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, I have a few wrap up comments too. Um, one is about the water and I understand the waterproofing issue and it's very serious and expensive when you get it wrong. But one thought I had is when you mentioned iris, if you have drought tolerant plants everywhere else, but have one place that has irrigation or, or a, more of a water themed plant, that's okay. So you may wanna focus on real iris and irrigate them. And that, it, that may solve your water issue because that says water, um, a thought that you might consider. Um, I also concur with lighting and paving. I had those down on my list too. I went to the site yesterday and it certainly needs work. And this design is quite beautiful. Um, you've hired a very good consultant for this project and they've done a very good job. Um, so I congratulate all of you. And I really appreciate hearing from the community and their support and also hearing some of the history of, of the feeling about this plaza and how important it is in this um, part of the city and for this community, for all of us. So I, um, I think it's a great, great project. I don't have um, any other comments um, to suggest, but what I do have in mind, and I would like to hear from my commissioners once I call for a motion, is that we pass phase one and then ask the team to come back for two, three together, which would include construction drawings. And then we can see these last pieces worked out. Lighting, paving, those things are really important to get right, they're critical. And um, possibly the water issue and the flame issue. So um, commissioners, would you support me in a motion to break this into phase one and two, three. And um, that would allow the team to move forward, finish their work and come back for a final approval. So if that's the case, I would make a motion to approve phase one of the Japantown Peace Plaza project with the following contingencies that the team investigate and have a proposal for lighting, um, clear paving, possible uh, water element, and the peace flame. Do I have a motion? So moved. Patrick Do Clark. I have a second? Second, Shiota. Uh, a vote, roll call vote, please. Yes. Um, Commissioner Stryker? Yes. Commissioner Carney? Yes. Commissioner Liu? Yes. Commissioner Shiota? Yes. And Commissioner Schneer? Is, has left the meeting. You had to leave it. Fine. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, the motion passes uh, unanimously. Okay. And team, I think that this will not hold you up. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time and feedback. All right. And we too. Good good job. Nice, nice project. Okay, and we okay. move on to and I'm looking at my agenda and all my paper here. Um, 
We move on to project number item number six, which is the Sonoma Valley Water Treatment Plant Ozone Project. And I want to say thank you very much for your patience. This is a longer than normal meeting. We've had a couple of long discussions, and it's not nice when you're at last. So thank you very much for waiting on your attention. Is anyone else getting a, uh, an echo? Echo? Yes. Yes. I hear an echo. Okay, team, are you ready to present? Uh, yes. I don't know if we can. Uh, I'm sure Paris is working on this echo issue, but I'm going to mute while I. Does that help? Does that help? Brian, am I maybe because Brian has his? And now I hear an echo on my end, so I don't know. Oh, so on my end, let me let me see if I can switch uh, switch my microphone. Did that help? I'll, I'll figure it I'll, out. I'll you sound okay. Okay. Well, uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, thank you for seeing us today, hearing us today. Um, I am Brian DeSor. I'm this, with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission uh, Project Manager. Um, with me today is, is Jamie Lee um, from the Bureau of Architecture um, and also uh, Miles Stevenson, uh, excuse me, Miles Stevens with Stevenson and Associates. Um, and we are here to present phase two of the Snow Valley Water Treatment Plant Ozone Project. Um, we uh, were before the commission um, for the conceptual design uh, past November 2021, and we were here for the phase one presentation in May of 2022. Um, and now we're here for a phase, excuse me, phase one presentation in May of 2022, and we're here for phase two today. Um, the project is uh, located in Sonoma, California um, at our existing uh, Snow Valley Water Treatment Plant. Um, and we will be installing a new facility uh, at the plant to address taste and odor issues that we've identified in our uh, source drinking water at the Calaveras Reservoir and San Antonio Reservoir. Uh, the project is in design. Um, we are, are, are anticipating 100% design uh, in uh, April of 2023 um, and starting construction in December of 2023. Um, and it'll be a three and a half year construction duration. Um, now I'll uh, let uh, uh, Jamie um, discuss the details of the project. Jamie. Thank you, Brian, and thank, thank you, Brian, commissioners, and for sticking it out with us today to talk about the Sonoma Valley Water Treatment Plant Ozonation Project. Um, as Brian mentioned, the project gets out in Sonoma, about 50 miles southeast of San Francisco. Um, these, um, the new project will add multiple new buildings and facilities for that new ozone system to remove those tastes and odors from water that's being treated at the existing plant. On the right image, you can see a regional view of the plant, which is located within Sonal Valley, Valley, excuse me, between San Antonio and Calaveras Reservoirs. The 
plant is in a very remote location and there is no public access to the facility. And on the left here, you can see the plant that's sitting above Alameda Creek to the east in Calaveras Road. Um, you can see from the aerial that the grade actually drops off quite steeply towards the creek and the road at the site's immediate eastern edge. Again, um, the plant is not accessible to the public, for, but for staff arriving, they would enter the plant from Calaveras Road. Um, they approach the plant's entrance gate at the base of the creek, where the main plant road starts to climb up, where you pass our site on the left here, highlighted in blue. Uh, the site is across from the existing air chemical area canopy structures on the north. And as you climb up the road, the existing operations building is immediately on the west western side of our site. Um, the site is not visible from the public right away from Calaveras Road where this view is taken. The site is highly concealed by the gray change in the existing trees and landscape of the creek. Some additional uh, context views for you. The key plan is on the upper left. Uh, view two shows a view of our site from the new access road from the existing main plant road on the lower right corner. You'll later see a rendering of, a, of the project from this viewpoint. And views three and five show two existing facilities, uh, which are very low lying concrete pads and infrastructure piping, which will both remain on site once our project is complete. And view six shows the existing operations uh, building uh, quite concealed right now by the existing Madrone and Manzanita trees. The Madrone trees have been incorporated into our site design by our landscape architects, which they will describe later on. There is an existing architectural topology that already exists on the plant with the existing operations building and the chemical lab building, such as a concrete apron, uh, vertical metal siding and daylighting infrastructure buildings with skylights. Uh, photos on the left are of that chemical lab building, um, showing the concrete apron base and the vertical metal siding, which we drew inspiration from for our ribbed concrete uh, uh, pattern. We shown in the center top image. And on the center bottom image, we've shown um, how we can create a texture facade implementing both that vertical ribbed concrete texture and a normal smooth as form concrete. We've also explored floor form concrete as an added uh, concrete texture for our two facilities. This is an updated site aerial of the uh, current project design. The architectural scope consists of four main facilities. Um, starting on the right, labeled LOX is the liquid oxygen and liquid nitrogen facility. It's outdoor storage um, tanks and vaporizers for liquid oxygen and nitrogen, which are then used at the ozone generation building to create ozone. Um, that ozone is fed to the south to this large um, structure right here, the ozone contactor structure. The ozone is the actual um, ingredient that when it makes contact with water will disinfect and remove those tastes and odor odors. Um, the ozone contactor structure is essentially four large uh, water basins where that water makes contact with ozone. And our fourth and final facility is the calcium thiosulfate facility. This metal canopy structure stores um, calcium thiosulfate which is the last step in the process and removes any residual ozone from the water being treated at the contactor structure. Uh, one thing I do want to point out here on this uh, on this view right here was a comment received at phase one. 
was that if the number of axial orientations of the facilities on this site can be reduced. And so to go back a little bit, the ozone generation building and the ozone contactor structure, the two new facilities we're going to talk about today, along with the facility labeled number five, the raw water piping manifold, a new that new facility with no architectural scope, are all aligned with Plant North and the existing West Access Road. Um, the calcium biosulfate facility and liquid oxygen facility are aligned with the new plant road and the existing chemical canopy structures across the main plant road. Um, any, um, the two structures that actually are non-axial are labeled three and four, and those are those two low-lying structures and facilities that I mentioned in the context views. They're very low to the ground. Um, they're critical to plant operations, and for that reason, we cannot realign them. However, because there are low-lying structures, we did not feel that they were as important to the axial orientation of the campus planning as uh, a main structure with a building entry, for example. Moving on to the site plan, we can talk about the program in a little more detail. The ozone generation building right here. Um, the plan is driven mainly by the ozone process with the main ozone generation room right here with the main equipment generating the ozone supported by ancillary programs um, on the west and the mechanic shop on the east for our operations staff. Um, um, shown in red is a retaining wall that surrounds this building. Um, this is due to about a 10-foot grade change between the west access road and the lower new access road that our project will include. Um, to the south is the ozone contactor structure. Again, essentially um, four large water basins holding that water to be treated. Um, one important thing to know is that this is mainly a infrastructure facility. There are no permanent workspaces in this structure. Um, between the contactor basins is a long central galley with by skylights that ends on the north and south with ozone destruct areas and equipment that will um, convert the any residual ozone back into um, oxygen before it's released into the atmosphere. And then you see our calcium biosulfate and liquid oxygen at the eastern side of our new access road at the main entry. Um, and also pointing out those two existing facilities that are low lying to the ground, but non-axial. Um, so from that viewpoint, from the uh, new access road, from the main plant road, you can see the ozone generation building in the foreground. Um, and you can see the retaining wall on the northwest. And the taller volume right here um, denotes the main generation room, and the lower volume are those ancillary support spaces and mechanic shop. Um, another comment that we received at CDR phase one was if the massing of this building could be simplified um, and perhaps aligning the parapet heights of the two volumes. Um, we did explore several options that we presented at a June informal meeting with the commissioners here today. Um, we determined actually that the existing massing, as we're showing right here, actually works best for the program and the site experience, particularly on the western side, where this building is very close to the west access road, and we felt that anything taller was quite domineering for that experience. And um, that was an assessment that the commissioners agree with us back in June. Um, back to our first comment about those two existing facilities, you can see they're very low lying and visually not as impactful as these uh, four new facilities we're talking about today. The contactor structure is in the background, and we have the 
calcium thiosulfate and liquid oxygen facilities on the east with a brand new chemical delivery pad where um, chemical uh, delivery trucks will unload and deliver those liquid oxygen, nitrogen, and calcium thiosulfate to those facilities. Um, these were the previous designs that we showed for the ozone generation building. One thing of note was that the bottom of the red concrete texture and the top of all openings, we kept at a 10-foot datum that wrapped around the building. For our new design, um, we still keep a very minimal approach to the facade design with the same exact material palette. However, um, the large door opening and louver um, sizes for the main generation room did grow to accommodate uh, programmatic needs. Um, due to that, we broke away from that 10-foot datum and brought that rib concrete down five feet to create a more asymmetric proportion of those two textures. Building openings are still very minimal around the building. Um, and on the north, south, and west elevations, you can see the extent of the retaining wall at shown dashed. Um, moving on to the contactor structure for the west, north, and south, we had very minimal changes from the CDR phase one to phase two. One thing I will note that um, you'll see that the west elevation is buried up to that 10 feet, as is a portion of the north and the south wall. Um, for the east elevation, we wanted to address um, CDR comment um, that we received, which was to analyze its massing and composition as it relates to the program. And so the previous design is shown on the upper image right here, and we've updated our, our design in the center. Um, the building section is shown on the bottom for reference. And so um, we still have a baffle pattern, which are these uh, reveals in the ribbed uh, concrete shown around on the east elevation um, that we kept from our previous design. But what we did was to simplify the widths and the layout to better and clearly express um, those baffle walls that occurred directly behind the east, uh, eastern facade. We also extended the bore form pattern of the north and south ends to better relate to the ozone destruct areas, as you can see here on elevation, relating to the building section below. We also included two new, uh, some horizontal reveals around the building, um, one to connect the bore form pattern and also to help um, break up that central mass of this central volume and the expanse of rib concrete that we have. We are limited by the form liner patterns that are used to create this rib concrete, so we did place them as strategically as we could. These are some precedents that we have for the two other facilities. On the left is the existing liquid oxygen facility at Harry Tracy, which is Seminole's sister plant in San Bruno. Um, our facility will have a very similar scale with the same exact equipment. And on the right um, is the chemical storage facilities that exist on site. And our canopy structure will be very similar to this using the same materials and colors to um, blend in with the site. And now I'll pass it off to Miles and Grazina from Stevenson Socialist to talk about the landscape design. Thank you. Thank you. I'll start with the uh, comments that were made in phase one, some of the informal meetings that we had. Uh, first off is explore more bushes and ground cover to relieve the large areas of hydro seeding. Uh, working with the uh, PUC natural resources team, we've deleted the hydro seeding from 
the uh, area between the two buildings, the uh, ozone generation and the ozone contactors entirely. We place them with uh, ground cover, um, shrubs, and trees in that area there. And indeed, we've deleted the hydro seeding from the entire project. Number two, uh, incorporate existing site tree species. And so at the existing operations building, there is a uh, madrone and other trees. And so we're bringing the madrone trees across the street to this particular site to try to integrate the two. Number three, simplify plantings in the front garden. Yes, um, we had 60 plant species to start with, came down to 28, and then finally to 20, working with the uh, PUC Natural Resources team. They vetted everything, and uh, our plant uh, list is much shorter. Number four, um, add shrubbery and ground cover by the vehicle parking. Did that? Yes, certainly did. Uh, convey a clear design intent for the garden water wells, the circular water wells there. Uh, this is meant to be a uh, an accent colorful uh, statement there, uh, which is a ground plane simple statement at the uh, at that water well statement in front of the uh, uh, ozone contactor uh, ozone generation building. Address potential wildfire hazards in proximity of hydro seeding. So we've deleted the hydro seeding, and we've addressed the wildfire uh, condition by irrigating the entire site and having plant materials at the uh, PUC Natural Resources team very comfortable with and uh, can deal with the uh, maintenance aspects very effectively, more effectively than before with all the hydro seeding. Add native shrubbery closer to the buildings, walkways provide relief during hot weather periods. It gets hot in the summer, it gets cold in the winter, yes. And so our response was to incorporate native trees, native to this area, native to the state of California. And uh, so we've added shrubs in a lot of different locations and then incorporate side sections. Next slide, please. We'll look at the uh, site sections, the cross sections. Miles, um, just so you know, you have about three minutes remaining. Okay. Um, starting on top, as many you could circle the existing operations building. It's where the existing madrone trees are. So we brought those across the access road to this new site. The whole point was to integrate the sites and to give coverage uh, along this entire acre and a half site. So we have the trees there. We have the ADA access ramp winding its way down the slope and uh, some of the low-lying existing uh, utility infrastructure uh, structures there. And then we come down to the uh, front of the uh, ozone generation building, the uh, the front garden there. And so in the middle of the front there, you can see the uh, madrone trees have been introduced, silk tassel trees and ground cover in that area there uh, between the driveways that bring uh, uh, utility trucks into the ozone generation building. And then coming down across the street, you'll see the parking area that's in the center. And <clears throat> trees, I mean, there's a very complicated underground utility network. And so there's only a few places where we can introduce trees, but shrubs are everywhere and ground cover is everywhere. And then down to the uh, bioswale, that's a uh, drainage area. And uh, around that, some of the steep slope areas around the uh, uh, chemical storage buildings, the locks building, the uh, uh, calcium building, storage areas in there. And so you can see the steep grading, and so that'll be uh, shrubs and ground cover. Okay, next slide. Okay, here you can see 
uh, around the ozone generation building, the, the retaining wall, which goes from three foot to about 11 foot high around that building. And it comes around to the opposite side of the building, seeing the curved walkway there. And so the function there is as you park, you approach the ozone generation building around that rounded uh, sidewalk, and you'll see a little seating area there, shrubs behind that. And uh, to that, you'll see one of the water wells is highlighted there in that uh, color, that kind of light blue color that white area there, and you can see the uh, madrone trees are right in the middle of, between the two driveway entry um, buildings, is, uh, paving areas to the uh, uh, generation building. And below that are, are, are medium height shrubs and then down to ground cover and very low ground cover out to the curb line of the uh, access road. So you can see it's a pretty, uh, pretty interesting area. On the right of the slide there, you can see the uh, uh, relationship in terms of the plant design between madrone, madrone trees at, at the top there that Mandy's circling, um, and then the, uh, the, the Ceanothus, which will wrap around the retaining wall to either sides of the ozone generation building. It'll be the rounded ground plane element uh, between the uh, driveways on one side or the driveway on the other side and the curved walkway on the other side. So you can see the, kind of the idea of the uh, plant material, the silk tassel tree that's on one side of the uh, ozone generation building, and then the oak tree that's in the, the middle of the uh, yeah, oak tree there. So next slide then, let's go on. Cross sections, colorful cross sections, starting on the left where Mandy is circling, the existing operations building and Madrone trees are brought across the access road, across the street there. And so we approach the, uh, the site accessibility ramp ADA path going down, and you can see the shrubs that are introduced around the retaining wall around the uh, generation building coming around to the front, uh, to the front of the ozone generation building. You can see the madrone trees there, the shrubs, and the ground cover stepping down to the access road that's there. And then across that road to the parking area, you can see that truck, that pickup truck there at the uh, chemical storage buildings that are there, and then this drop off, uh, the gray drop off with uh, shrubs and ground cover and vines at the steep areas and then down to the bioswale. That's the cross section of the site. Let's do another cross section, Mandy, which is- That uh, team, if you wouldn't mind um, wrapping up in the next few minutes, that would be great. Thank you. Okay, one minute. So that is pretty self-explanatory. If we go to the area of the ozone generation building itself on the right-hand side, Mandy, you can see the building there and the, uh, the new trees and shrubs that are there and over to the ADE ramp, uh, just on the left, right there, you have it. Yes. And the planting that's there. Okay. Next slide. So this is some of the plant material starting on the upper left with the madrone trees, upper upper left there, Mandy, and then the Cianothus accent. So that's the accent around the retaining wall and at the round um, planting area at the ground plane. And then some of the other plant material that's there. Next slide. Then finally, the, uh, there are vines there, honeysuckle vines at the uh, retaining wall, and uh, then the bioswale uh, on the very right-hand side. Yeah, okay, bioswale areas. I think that covers everything. Next slide. Yes, yeah, some of the ground plane paving areas. There's a uh, uh, staff lunch picnic table and uh, some of the other uh, paving materials at the ground plane. Next slide. And so, Mandy. Thank you so much. Um, we'll answer any questions or take any of your comments today. Thank you.
muted, Commissioner. Sorry, I saw I was muted. It was an echo. Sorry about that, too. Um, commissioners, do you have comments? Uh, Commissioner Shiota, I think you were first. Thank you. Um, I just uh, appreciate, and it seems to be a theme of all the projects today, is, is the native plantings. They look great. Uh, they're very thoughtful, um, and they'll do well in, in our desert state. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. And Commissioner Carney. I also appreciate the desert plantings. And I think that the whole thing is pretty amazing for a utilitarian facility, which few people will ever see. Um, I did have a couple of comments on the questions raised. One was the massing plan about the low, one lower side. There was a question asked about keeping that lower. Um, I think it's actually pleasing to be lower myself. And the um, and the line you made and the texture of the concrete, I think that's fine to lower that line as well that you asked about. And on the east elevation, in the phase one drawing versus the current design drawing, the um, where is that? There it is. I really appreciate the exaggerated tall and narrow slots on the on what would have been a brutal elevation. So I think that they're really sweet. And then the the darker one and the existing in the phase one. Was there a different color there that or is it just the rendering technique? Because they're actually darker than they are in the current design. Yeah, it was a rendering technique. And so we actually modeled the current design, those reveals. And so what you see in the current design is more reflective of what they'll be like in person after looking through oh. the detail and talking to the manufacturer about how those reveals would actually be formed. Okay, I think they're really great to be tall and skinny like that. Um, in Byron's presentation, one of his later slides showed, um, showed that elevation. And it looked like they must be pretty deep because they seem to be dark in that elevation, in that rendering, like they're casting a big shadow. Which would be wonderful if it really happened, but I suspect those tall, skinny slots are only what two inches deep, if that. Um, probably less than that. We're a little bit constrained by the um, actual form liner pattern and how to fill in those reveals when it actually comes to forming. And um, the walls are pretty substantially thick. However, our structural engineer uh, does have some limits on how far we can go into the structural component of the wall. And so I would say an inch at most. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. That one rendering showed them pretty well shadowed, which would be great. But, you know, this is better than nothing. You did try and break up that wall, and that's probably a fairly expensive solution as it is. But it really does add some interest to that wall. So your presentation in general was fantastic. Thank you. I think all of the exhibits were wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. Any other commissioner comments? Um, I just want to thank the design teams, um, both landscape and architecture, for your strong effort to and your really rigorous effort to make this, has been said, utilitarian area, this project, this campus special. It really matters for the people who work here. And it shows that you can make good design out of really challenging um, programs. 
And I just wanna congratulate you on such a nice job. Um, I think the planting is really delicious. It's great. You worked really hard at it. I know you put a lot of time into it. All those amazing native plants are going to be really beautiful for a long time and um, blend in. So they'll look great in the landscape at large and they'll look great in this site where people are working um, and seasonally too. So nice job. Is there any public comment? Um, if you're already listening to this meeting via the web link, uh, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Uh, instructions are currently on the screen. We're on item number six, Sunil Valley Water Treatment Plant Ozone Nation Project. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer if you're listening in via WebEx and will be given a 30-second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.code to sfgov.org. On checking list, I don't see any hands raised. Um, give it one more minute, moment. Um, don't see any hands raised. Um, there is no public comment for this item and public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. Commissioners, um, do I have a motion to approve phase two review of the Sonol Valley Water Treatment Plant Ozonization Project? So moved, Shiota. Second. Second, Lou. Okay, great. How about a vote? Uh, yes, uh, Commissioner Stryker. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Carney. Yes. Commissioner Liu? Yes. And Commissioner Shiota? Yes. Uh, the motion passes unanimously. Okay. Good job, team. Thank you. Um, so now we move to item number eight, and that's staff report. That will be given by Deputy Director of Programs, Joanne Lee. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. I don't have a staff report. We did not have any administrative reviews in the past month since we've seen you. Okay, well, thank you. I think this is a good meeting not to have a staff report because it's so long, but thank you. Is there any public comment on item number eight? Uh, if you are already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are currently on screen and we are on item eight staff report. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer. Uh, if you're listening in via WebEx, I'll be given a 30-second audible warning. You'll be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay on the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.codes at sfgov.org. Um, and see any hands raised. There's no public comment for this item and public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. 
So we move to item number nine, new business and announcements. Are there any new business or announcements that anyone wants to share? Sounds like none. Is there any public comment on item number nine? Um, if you're already listening to this meeting via the web link, please raise your hand. If you're calling by phone, press star three. Please press only once since pressing it more than once will remove you from the queue. Instructions are on the screen. On item, we're on item number nine, new business and announcements. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You'll see a visual timer and you're listening in via WebEx and be given a 30 second audible warning. You will be muted once your time is up. However, you may stay in the line if you wish to speak on other items on the agenda. Any individual who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting may supply a brief written summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.code to sfgov.org. Um, I don't see any hands raised. Um, there's no public comment for this item and public comment is now closed. Okay, and that leads to item number 10, which is adjournment. So we'll adjourn the meeting and I just wanna thank everyone again, commissioners, staff for such a long meeting and still staying attentive and giving some really excellent input. So thank you all and we will see each other soon. Have a great week. Thanks everyone. Thank Have a good evening. Bye-bye.